Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 19th, 2023, including Microsoft has laid off 10,000 employees, some of which were Xbox or Bethesda staff, NVIDIA and Google weigh in on the Microsoft Activision deal, sales data for the best-selling games of 2022 has been released, and more. Oh, and don't even get me started on 343 this week. On this day in Xbox history in the year 2016, Life is Strange Complete Season, episodes 1 through 5, the full package, was released for the Xbox One in the U.S. Now, Life is Strange, the first Life is Strange, began in, it was February or March of 2015. I remember because I started playing it right around the time it came out, and then it wrapped up by the end of the year. And then it wrapped up in December, and then they released a complete edition with all five episodes for people who just want to play it through without doing the episode by episode because it was, uh, this game was released kind of in the height of that episodic, here's one episode, two months later, here's one episode kind of play, uh, what was it, Telltale Games style um, release schedule. But we don't really get that as much these days. The newer Life is Strange games are usually released all as one chunk. Speaking of which, I'm playing Life is Strange this week, so kind of pertinent or kind of timely. Guys, welcome to week 190 of the Xbox On podcast. Good to have you here. Now, we've got a surprisingly decent amount of stuff to talk about. For this time of the year, it's actually quite a hefty amount of news. And I will say it's quite appropriate, too, because this is the, uh, as of the day I'm recording this, the 18th, this is the one-year anniversary of the day Microsoft announced that they were entering an agreement to acquire Activision Blizzard. So it's only fitting for a year from that date for us to be getting another uh, large, lengthy news week. Unfortunately, I, I, just, mm, I wish the news was uh, <laughs> uh, for, for, you know, I wish it was happier news and for better circumstances that we have a lot to talk about. But we'll get into that once we get to the main news. Until then, I do want to say as a quick reminder at the top of the show, guys, remember next Wednesday, the 25th, is the Xbox Bethesda Developer Direct, which is basically the game showcase they're doing this month. So the podcast schedule should be completely unaffected because it's happening earlier in the day on Wednesday. That will give me time to be a bad employee and kind of sneak around and try to watch this shit while I'm at work and then go home and be able to just fresh off the heels of the event, talk about it, record it, get it edited and uploaded so that Thursday morning, as is always the case, you'll get the episode um, same time you always do. So hopefully that, you know, I don't anticipate that affecting the show at all, uh, but it'll other than to say it will give us tons of really exciting new fresh news to talk about, some new gameplay, some new release dates, some new progress in the world of what's happening at Xbox. But that's next week. Now for this week, guys, because we do have so much going on this week, I figure we just jump right into it. Let's not, you know, I could, I could talk, listen, if you want, I can, I can halt the show. We can talk about how the Tron light cycle run coaster at the Magic Kingdom here at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida is opening on, on April 4th. 
very much looking forward to it. I already got my park pass reserved for the day. I cannot wait. I took the day off work. I'm going to be there all day to celebrate and commemorate the opening of a fucking Tron attraction. Isn't that so exciting, guys? Tron, the greatest sci-fi property of all time, is getting a theme park attraction. I can't. I couldn't be more excited. But we're not going to talk about stuff like that because we got to stay laser focused this week. There's just so much news to get through. So let's uh, let's try and be buttoned up about this and just get directly into what's going on. Starting off with our stories of mild amusement updates, corrections. We've got some a mild, a mildly amusing stories to jump right into. So from VGC, Microsoft has said that they plan to uh, announce release dates for several highly anticipated Xbox games during their upcoming product showcase, which is next Wednesday. We literally just talked about that. In a blog post on the English language version of Xbox Wire, Microsoft said that the event would deliver fresh details on uh, on games that are, quote, launching in the next few months, including Forza Motorsport, Redfall, and Minecraft Legends. However, the German version of Xbox Wire's post said uh, now claims that the release dates of these titles will be confirmed. So I don't know if there's some kind of jumbled, like, lost in translation sort of thing going on here. But it seems like the German article um, for version of the article for Xbox Wire uh, spilled the beans a little bit and said, hey, baby, you're going to get some release dates for these titles, not just an extended look or, you know, some more information. So very, something very much exciting for us all to look forward to. There's not, I mean, I don't want to sit here and postulate over this because in just a matter of a few days, we're going to have all this information laid out for us. So just want to start out with that because this is no doubt some exciting news for Xbox gamers to look forward to. I know Xbox fans have obviously had to go through kind of a weird past 12 months with just not a whole lot going for the first party lineup and Xbox just kind of being the punching bag of the games industry lately with the like, you weren't at the game awards, you guys didn't have any, whatever. This is just something exciting to look forward to. It's a win. It's a bona fide win for Xbox and Xbox fans. And so I just want to start out this week talking about a win. Can I do that? Can I do that on this fucking podcast for once? Oh, trying to reduce the amount of cursing. So let's say, can I do that on this gosh darn podcast? Thank you. Please and thank you. Next up, let's talk about something that's kind of controversial, kind of juicy. Talking about Justice League kill the, or sorry, Suicide Squad kill the Justice League. An image that leaked this past week of the game that is making the rounds and causing a lot of a lot of conflict and strife over where this game is headed. So let's read the VGC article because it's the only website I know how to go to. A leaked Suicide Squad image has confirmed plans for service game elements such as a battle pass. The image, which leaked on 4chan and made its way to Reddit, but has been verified by VGC sources, uh, is understood to originate from a recent test build of the game and shows various menus planned for Rocksteady's co-op game. The battle pass and multiple uh, currencies shown in the image have inspired a debate on social media as to how extensive the live service elements of this game will be. Now, obviously, this is a little frustrating. This is an audio-only podcast. You don't see the image, but it is a uh, it's a menu. It's an image of like a game menu. It shows like the characters. It looks like every live service game ever. If I told you know, if you play Halo, it looks like Halo. If you if Call of Duty is your live service game, it looks like Call of Duty. If you're a Destiny guy. Don't worry, it looks like Destiny. It looks like every fucking live service game you've ever seen. The same kind of fonts, the same kind of menu layout, everything. And it shows a tab for a battle pass. It shows tabs for all the different customization options and all these things. It looks very much like a live service game, and that's kind of what's been uh, stirring up some trouble. Now, Rocksteady, the developer of the game, reached out and told VG, say, hey, hey, hey. Uh, the battle pass that uh, that's planned for the game, while true, it's really focused on cosmetic items like skins. It's not really, you know, the, the, they said, I think their quote was, the, the idea is that you start off the game, you don't start off the game debuffed and weak. 
you start off the game great and get ridiculous as the game progresses, just like the Batman Arkham games. That was kind of their, their not cover-up, but their kind of uh, saving face for all the shit they were taking over over this image that was making the rounds. I've actually got the image pulled up here so I can get a better look at it while we while we talk. Actually, the image has been taken down, which is absolutely hilarious. So let me find somewhere else I can find it. All right, never mind. This image has been deleted, so I can find this small thumbnail. So let me see if I can zoom in on this and get a better view. But yeah, basically, it's yeah. chapter select, difficulty, character customization, battle pass. These are the kinds of options that are popping up on the screen. So it is your absolute typical run-of-the-mill. It literally just looks like the Call of Duty menu. So th this is the thing is a lot of people were really disappointed with Batman Arkham Knights, which came out a few months ago uh, because a lot of that game felt like a live service game that had the live service elements ripped out of it. And people were salty about it because they didn't want the game to be a live service game, but it felt like so much of the game was fundamentally built around these ideas and these mechanics, these multiple currencies and unlocks and things like that, this loot grind, that the game played like a live service game, but ultimately wasn't a live service game. And that was frustrating for people because I think people are really fatigued from these kinds of games. There's only so much of this, this trend people can handle before. They just want something clean and easy. That's why games like the Callisto Protocol, which while not necessarily are the best game of all time, are so incredibly refreshing or rewarding to play because it's a game that's like hi i'm gonna i'm gonna be like seven and a half to, to to ten hours maybe of your life and then i'm gonna go the fuck away and you can go feed your child and get ready for work the next day and there's just so few games that still do that these days and for suicide squad a game that looked so much like it was just going to be the, like a rock steady batman game but with the justice league it just turns out being yet another live service game that's going to ask you, replay the mission, but with better loot, and don't worry, you're going to get better gear if you do it again, and do it with your friends, and do it on a harder mode, and don't forget to come back for the Christmas event, don't you want your Suicide Squad character to be able to unlock bonus in-game content for the holiday event, timed event, you better, don't miss it, you stupid idiot, if you, ah, you're playing... You're playing Warzone, you're playing Fortnite, oh no, you're going to miss all the Suicide Squad content that you desperately desire, and I think people are just really, really exhausted from this shit, and to see it pop up in these games that where it just doesn't need to be, it's just so obviously doesn't need to be, I think that's where the fan outrage really, really comes from, because you think about a game like Halo Infinite, which is a live service game, but it's so natural for a game like that to be a live service, because... Halo 2, Halo 3, even up to like Halo 5, these games in a way were live service by the, by as much of, you know, by the standard of what a quote unquote live service game could have been in like 2004, 2007, whatever. You know, these were games that lived and breathed with community content and shared videos and things like that and DLC. And it was this kind of rudimentary, archaic now as we look at this quaint kind of by today's standards version of what eventually would become a live service game. So for a game like Halo Infinite to be a full-blown live service, it's like, well, that's just fitting because that's kind of what Halo's always been. It's always been about creating and sharing and funny moments and additionally like a game that is just fun to play endlessly for years and years to come. So it's like, you know, a game like Halo, it's like, ah, it's another live service game, but this makes sense. But then you get games like Suicide Squad, it's just like, why is this a live service game? Can you please remind me why? Like, I'm, I'm looking forward to Atomic Hearts. It comes out in about a month. It's my most anticipated game of the year so far. Can't wait to play this game. I would be so crestfallen if they were like, but it's a live service game. Yes, uh, you, you got to buy the battle pass because you want to find out. You, you want to be able to find additional missions after the game where it's not just about the Soviet Union, alt history. Like, what if we talked about 
the fucking you know the the, the, the Italian fascists surviving the war and, and what what happens when Mussolini actually gets a robotic heart and then you can join him on a raid and loot like crazy and then by the time season seven rolls around we'll give up on the artistic integrity of the game and we'll just start slapping fucking neon there'll be a marshmallow event fuck you who cares and we're just, I just people are just clearly tired of that I'm sure many people listening to this are instantly like yep that's me I'm tired of it myself I'll, I'll be honest i actually like live service games i enjoy them quite a bit um the thing that frustrates me about them isn't that i hate that they exist my problem is that i don't have enough time for any more of these i love destiny i love halo and i love call of duty and my biggest problem is that all three of those games right now are really good modern warfare 2 destiny 2 and halo infinite are all in a place right now where i'm really happy with all three games and that drives me fucking nuts because i don't have a full-time job to commit to these three titles and so you know as someone who's looking forward to a game like suicide squad it's just disappointing knowing that it's like oh this game also wants me to buy the game three times over with all the dlc and wants me to you know play it when halloween rolls around so i can get my jack-o'-lantern mask for harley quinn so i can make sure harley quinn has all the latest and greatest limited time only gear you know when fucking summer rolls around can't wait to do the coca-cola offer and scan the QR codes and all my Coke 12 packs so that fucking the shark guy from Suicide Squad can represent the Coca-Cola t-shirt, you know, like walk around. I, I don't know. It's just, it's disheartening. <laughs> it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's disheartening. And it's just untenable. We need the industry to be able to support more than just massive AAA live service type games. So still looking forward to the game, but yeah, they, they, they definitely have, I think, taken the, the inevitable hype that is built up so high for this game and taking it down a peg with this uh with this information let's uh speaking of callisto protocol actually let's talk about that next so this is interesting i was wondering about this game sales and we actually just got uh, some sad but updated information regarding the game's selling progress vgc reports that callisto protocol reportedly did not or has seen disappointing sales figures failing to recoup the reported 162 million dollar budget the game had this has caused investors in uh in publisher Crafton, the PUBG publisher, to lower their target stock price in response. According to MK Odyssey, uh, which I think is a Korean outlet, uh, the game reportedly cost over $200 billion. The game record, oh, sorry. <laughs> the game reportedly cost over 200 billion won in development, Korean currency, so 162 million US, 132 million euro for comparison's sake, to develop uh, a budget that the sales of the game have not yet matched. During development, the game was referred to as a quadruple A, uh, <laughs> suggesting that no expense was spared despite the game being a new IP in a niche genre that rarely produces massive sales numbers, with the exception of, like, Resident Evil. For comparison, Resident Evil Village, the eighth mainline entry in the hugely popular franchise, managed to pull 6 million units in sales after six months, despite the profile of the franchise being strong with reviewers. According to uh, Samsung Securities... Crafton had expected the Callisto Protocol to sell around 5 million copies. However, considering the current sales ranking, cumulative sales of 2 million copies will not be easy until this year. So that's very bad news for players like myself who enjoy the Callisto Protocol and hoped that there would be maybe one day a sequel. Uh, this game is not getting a sequel. This game is not going to continue on. That is the end of this. I'll be actually really curious to see what happens to developers striking distance and if they are able to work with Crafton again to make another game or if they have to go with someone else which is kind of exactly how that works i think technically striking distance is a Crafton owned studio so 
this will be, you know, not not fun. It's a little bit of a precarious situation for the developer, I believe. But it'll be interesting to see where this goes because this is a a, a full fledged bomb at this point, um, just in terms of what internal sales expectations were and with where they are um, sales wise. Now, I will say the, you know, I say full fledged bomb as if this game has like absolutely nothing going for it. 2 million copies sold for a game like this, I think, is actually kind of respectable. It's a new IP. It's a $70 game. It's a survival horror game, which is insanely niche. Those games, that, that genre is not particularly massive. And it's by an unproven developer that's brand new and has nothing going for it other than the fact that it was founded by people who have worked on Call of Duty and Dead Space. So that is... That is and imp- I think actually with if you put it in that context, if this was like an indie game or if this game had a much smaller budget or or if more more aptly, if the sales expectations were just in check, I would think two million copies sold would be fairly OK for this. Keep in mind, the original Dead Space game, I think, only sold two or three million copies. And at the time, EA saw that as kind of like, a, all right, that's OK. We'll give you a sequel and see what we can get from there. But I think the biggest issue here isn't really even how the game sold because for survival horror, if it's if it's on track to hit two million copies this year, I think that's like fairly standard. the The bigger problem here is crafted. For them to have thought this game would manage six million units sold is absolutely bonkers. That's just an asinine expectation that just doesn't make sense. So this game was set up for failure when you consider what the publisher, had just assumed or expected it would be able to pull off. I don't even know how the hell they thought that because you can easily look at other games of the genre and see how historically not well they've sold. So this is just a really big miscalculation, I think, on Crafton's part. But but ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, the, a game's success is going to live and live and die by its profitability and its expectations, you know, by its publishing arm. And so, for this to have affected Crafton's stock price, for this to have so severely, just not not even come within striking distance (no pun intended) of uh, <laughs> of the publisher's sales expectations, I think this uh, this means that's that's it for the Callisto Protocol. We'll get the DLC because there's a season pass to fulfill, but that's about it. You're gonna get one or two pieces of story DLC, and then bye bye. That's that's it. So not really happy that that's the case, but at least now we kind of know what to expect. I can't believe they build this as a quadruple A title. I don't even remember that being the case, but holy hell, if they thought they were going to get 6 million units and, and get to pass this off as a quadruple A, this game is like teetering on triple A and double A. That is where the quality of this game is. With the, with the fidelity and the presentation, no doubt it's a triple A game, but with the gameplay and the pacing and just how polished up the whole experience is... It teeters a little bit on double A. I would say it's closer to a double A game, and it's I just I mean, man, a survival horror game, not in like the Resident Evil. I mean, survival horror franchises that have the potential to cross like four or five million units plus sold. Like maybe Silent Hill Two Remake will do that. Um, a new Resident Evil game will for sure cross that. But I that's I mean, there's really not much else out there. Like Dead Space Remake, I think will be the perfect barometer because. I think Dead Space Remake, honestly, might not even sell 6 million units. I'd be kind of surprised if that ends up crushing it, uh, crushing 6 million. I, I, maybe 3 to 4 is where Dead Space Remake ends up, but I don't know. I, I don't I don't really think it, you know, if, if Callisto Protocol is going it's, to, it's, if they're close to 2 million, I think with the right expectations, that's not bad. 
But, yeah, expectations were definitely out of whack with this one. Speaking of someone who's out of whack, let's talk about High on Life creator Justin Roiland. Uh, as VGC reports, the Ricky Morty uh, creator has been charged with felony of domestic with with felony domestic violence in California. According to NBC News, he's been charged with one count of domestic battery with corporal injury and one count of false imprisonment by menace, violence, fraud, and or deceit. The charges are in connection with the 2020 incident revolving a woman Roiland was dating at the time. He was reportedly arrested and released on a $50,000 bond in August of 2020, and then <laughs> that was then arranged in October of that year. Having pleaded not guilty to the charge at the time, he appeared in court this past Thursday for a pre-trial hearing. A trial date has yet to be announced or set. So, I mean, I really just want to put this out there to say, I know people are really big on high on life right now. I'm not trying to spoil your fun or enjoyment, but I know a lot of people like to have the information of like, hey, uh, this thing exists. The creative forces behind it did or said this. Let me take that into account when I consider whether or not I want to support this thing. To some people, that might mean something. To some people, they might go, well, the game's really good. Fuck that guy. But, you know, he made a good game and a good game's a good game. I don't know. Wherever you want to take that, however you want to interpret this, that's up for you to decide. Personally, um, I guess I, this kind of puts me in an easy position because I had already fallen off with High on Life. I said I thought the game was creative. It was unique. I appreciate a lot of what it's doing, but it just wasn't for me and I had no problem putting it down. Uh, but personally, I think this guy sounds like a total asswipe. Of course, there is always the possibility, you know, innocent until proven guilty. But um, the dude was already arrested over this situation and then had to be bailed out. So we'll see. Personally, I, this guy just sounds like a, a scumbag. And so I uh, just want to put that out there. There's, there's your Rick and Morty guy. All these years, all the fucking sweat bags with the neck beards and the glasses, shopping at the Hot Topic, buying the Pickle Rick bumper stickers for the 2002 Ford Focus. You, you, you motherfuckers, you always said, oh, you don't like Rick and Morty, you don't like, bro, I didn't like Rick and Morty, I didn't like Harry Potter, clearly I am a fine specimen, clearly I have an eye for what is right and what is wrong, never hear about uh, Steven Leesberger, the creator of Tron. Being a pedophile or a homophobe or an abuser or a racist or a Nazi. No. You never hear about the good old folks at Bungie being a bunch of racists, being a bunch of transphobes, a bunch of womanizers. No. It's because I got a fucking eye for what it is right, boy. So listen up and listen well, you motherfuckers. I need you to go out to your local store. I need you to pick up a copy of Sonic Frontier. Oh, fuck creator of sonic is in jail never mind all right guys um let's just move on uh last thing i, I did want to put this in here technically not xbox related but this isn't to stoke a fire or to start some console war shit but i did want to mention just that this past sunday um hbo aired the first episode of the last of us tv show now i really adore uh the last of us the first game um i i thought that game was phenomenal when i played it it's just one of the great gaming experiences I've ever had just in terms of story. I, I think the game is just a little bit overrated. I really appreciate it for what it does narratively. I think it is in a league of its own with its production and its storytelling and its acting and its just performances are just phenomenal. Really great game. And uh, it's definitely one of those games that will stick with you forever. I, I really do love the first Last of Us game. Um, the second one definitely spoiled it for me a little bit because I, I, I really didn't enjoy the second one nearly as much as I had hoped I would. But 
I, I like The Last of Us. I'm just saying this to say I, I want to establish this. I'm I'm a big fan of PlayStation and a lot of the fa- uh, PlayStation first party and a lot of PlayStation's first party games. I really love Naughty Dog. I think they're clearly one of the absolute greatest developers of all time. I really enjoyed The Last of Us. The first game thought it was phenomenal. I have zero interest in watching um, a TV show that's just a retelling of the of the game that was probably better experience as a game than a TV show. But I did want to note that the first episode, the debut episode, gained an audience of 4.7 million viewers between TV and uh, HBO streaming services. HBO Max is what it's called. According to Warner, that makes it the second largest debut for HBO behind only House of Dragons, which is, I think, um, a Game of Thrones spinoff. So this is a massive, massive debut for the show. It's done very well. And critically, which is the more important thing, just because uh, for in the context of this conversation, because video game movies, TV shows, adaptations have historically been dog shit. Critically, people are absolutely loving this show uh, based on the first episode, at least. People think it is just phenomenal. It is just really, really good stuff. Incredible acting. Uh, great way of bringing this this story onto uh onto the what do you call what do you call the home screen silver screens for theaters so the uh i don't know the fucking living room screen i just want to bring this up because I, i'm sure you've seen a lot of people mention this if you if you're on youtube or twitter but it is impossible not to draw the comparison between this and the halo tv show because naughty dog no doubt the biggest playstation studio the last of us their their biggest ip right now and then, or though you could probably say God of War is technically their biggest IP, but I think Sony has a real soft spot for The Last of Us just for its artistic merit. Over on Xbox, 343, pretty much their their lead studio, or at least was until pretty recently, but their lead studio, like their, their piece de resistance, if you will, and Halo, their crown jewel of IP. This time last year, we got the Halo show. It, it, it came out, and I'll be honest, when the Halo show first aired, I was like, I don't love it, but there's a lot of things I like about it, and I want to let them have their creative freedom and see where they want to take this show, and I was kind of on board for like an episode or two, and then the show continues to just get worse and worse and worse, and now, you know, I finished season one, now I'm at the point where I look back on the Halo TV show, and I I have fucking war flashbacks, like I hate that show, I don't ever want to watch it again, and I, I hate that I'm probably going to inevitably watch season two when it comes out, even though I hated season one so much, but just gotta be compared, because... Here is Sony finding the right partners, and here's Naughty Dog putting the right people in charge of this to make sure that this IP that is so important to them is shepherded, is well-respected, is well-treated, and make sure that this show comes out and is exactly the kind of representation of this franchise that it needs to be. And I just wonder, what the fuck happened with that Halo show where whoever at 343 was in charge was like, yeah, these are the right people to be working on a Halo TV show. This is the right direction. And yeah, we want to go cheap, budgety, corny-looking live action instead of animated. And yeah, we want to have a, a really bad supporting character named Quan, who no one gives a shit about, who for some reason has a Korean accent in in 500 years into the future where no one else in the world has a Korean accent except her because sci-fi is weird and cringy and everyone usually only just has English, like British English or American English accents for whatever reason. And um, let, let's just talk about Master Chief showing his butt cheeks and, and banging a, an alien. And let's just talk about... Th- the show just sucked. The show was absolute dog trash. And 
it's it's one of those things where it's like if I go back, I'm pretty sure you'll if you listen to older Xbox One or Xbox One episodes, I'm probably not too hard on that show. But in retrospect, I'm like, no, no, this show sucked. <laughs> but it just really breaks my heart because it's just a clear example that between Microsoft, between 343, between the partners they choose to work with, Xbox just doesn't have a proper grasp over how to properly nurture and shepherd their franchises, their IP. And that makes me so sad because I I love Halo. I love 343. I love Xbox. I want these things to be great, but they're not. And I think, you know, there's a lot of Xbox fan Xbox fanboyism going around where people got to defend their brand. Like, well, well, blah, 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 this or that happened. Or they, they this was the excuse for why Xbox didn't execute perfectly. Or what are you talking about? The Halo show was good. Whatever. The, the fact of the matter is this is PlayStation's strong suit time and time again is they just find a way to find the right partners to understand what makes their their property special to understand what makes their developers sing and how to not get in the way of things and how to properly shepherd so things actually come out on time and with an appropriate budget and in a, in a realistic time frame. And I just sit here and I wonder, like, why the hell can't this story just ever be Xbox? Why can't the Halo show be good? <laughs> why can't 343 make a game in five years and have it be a critical and commercial darling? Why can't why can't we just get this right? And this is just the most recent example of that. And I just I just think Xbox has a lot to learn from others in the industry. And uh, sometimes I wish they spent more time trying to figure out what Sony's doing right. You know, I, I don't want Microsoft to turn all their first-party studios into glorified, sad dad simulator, third-person action narrative-driven games. That would make me sad. That would make me sad if I play Gears of War or Halo or Sea of Thieves, or it doesn't matter, Forza, and all the games are the same fucking sad, third-person action, narrative-driven, movie-quality game. I, I wouldn't want that. That's not what I'm saying. But there's clearly something that Sony does right with the way they have relationships with their partners, with the way they treat their first-party developers, with the way they produce and manage their projects. They just almost always get it right. And in recent history, Xbox just seems to almost always get it wrong. And I just wish they spent a little more time trying to figure out how is Sony getting that right and a little less time saying, can we buy Activision for $70 billion? You know, maybe that money needs to be spent on paying people at 343 so you don't need support devs and you can have a full-time staff. Maybe that money needs to be spent poaching management talent from Sony because clearly they know how to get a fucking game out the door. I don't know, man. But this is just the latest example where it's like, are you kidding me? Someone finally cracked the code for a TV show based on a video game series and it doesn't suck ass. Like, congrats to Sony. Congrats to Naughty Dog. Congrats to HBO and to Warner Media. Like, they, they fucking did it. Apparently, this show's great. I mean, who knows? Maybe it falls apart after episode one. But so far, it looks like The Last of Us is on track to be like, hey, look, you can do a TV show based on a, on a video game franchise and it can be good. And uh, me, I'm over here with my freaking dick in my hands, wishing that Master Chief didn't Master Chief didn't show us his butt, his butt cheeks, you know. And that's just the sad reality of where we are. All right, that's it. That's it for our stories of mild amusement. I told you we got a lot to get to this week, and I, we're only 30 minutes in, and I've already talked about butt cheeks and poor selling, poorly sold games, and live service, and all this shit. So we got a whole lot more to get into, guys. So. We will jump into the news shortly, but before we do that, let me tell you about the games I've been playing. But before I tell you about the games I've been playing, let me tell you about the food I've been eating. Let me tell you about what I've been eating. Oh boy, let me tell you about what I've been eating because 
in keeping with this week's tradition, this week's theme, I just have so much to talk about, guys, because there are three food things happening that I just got to gotta talk about. And I tried to cut one of these out of the mix, but just I can't do it. We need to talk about all three of these things. Guys, starting off with the big one, Dew fans, stand by. Mountain Dew Pitch Black lives. It is here. It is back. It is beautiful. I love the new art for it, that like outer space black void kind of artwork they do with the green bottle cap. Looks very cool. Very, very flashy. It is back. I found it at my local Publix the other day. I bought myself two bottles, one for the collection and one for drinking. And boy, oh boy, it's just, it's so funny because for those who who don't know, Pitch Black is the Mountain Dew, it's the grape flavored Mountain Dew. And it was the original Halloween Mountain Dew. I think the first time they released it was, it was either 2000 or 2001. It was released around Halloween time. It was called Mountain Dew Pitch Black. And then the following year, because it was so successful, they tweaked the formula a little bit and re-released it as Mountain Dew Pitch Black 2. It was literally just a sequel to Pitch Black. And that was wildly successful. And then it just effed off for a long while. And then around 2010, 2011, I remember because I, I was working at Publix for the first time, my first job, around the time I was working there, they brought it back. And it had been almost a decade or about a decade since the world had last seen this flavor. So it was a big deal. And I remember like working at Publix, I'd get my paycheck, and then I'd go stock up on Mountain Dew Pitch Black, and then I'd go home and play Left 4 Dead 2 or Battlefield Bad Company or whatever the fuck I did back in those days. And it was awesome. It was beautiful. And um, then it went away again. And then... And about five years later, maybe four or five years later, I think they re-released around 2016, I want to say it was. And then it stayed. that was the longest it ever stayed around because it stayed around for, man, like almost a year, I want to say. I felt like it was pretty easy to find. And then it went away again. And uh, I thought we weren't going to ever see this flavor again because in 2019, Mountain Dew no longer well technically it was in the third or fourth time they released it that they stopped associating it as a halloween flavor um really they only used it as a halloween thing the first two times but i really thought we weren't possibly ever going to see this again because in 2019 mountain dew announced and released voodoo which as we all know has quickly become the modern call or call of duty the, the modern warfare of mountain dew no it's the 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 modern Mountain Dew Halloween flavor. So we all know Mountain Dew Voodoo every year on Halloween time. We get Mountain Dew Voodoo 1, Voodoo 2, Voodoo 3. We just finished up with Voodoo 4 this past year. And, um, well, guys, Mountain Dew didn't want us to forget about Pitch Black just because Voodoo exists. And so I don't know why they chose January. I don't know what about January specifically screams outer space, Pitch Black, grape-flavored soda. But I'm glad they did it because they chose this to be the time to bring it back and it couldn't have been better timing because i had my first sip of mountain dew pitch black for the first time in five six seven years and it was it was glorious i really enjoyed it and i'm really happy it's back i still got to find me a 12 pack but if you haven't ever tried this flavor you really owe it to yourselves and one last thing i'll say about this is guys i hate grape flavor i like grape the fruit i like wine i hate grape like artificial grape flavor. I hate it in candies. I hate it in juice. I hate it in soda. I hate all of it. I think artificial grape flavoring is one of the most disgusting flavor profiles ever. And if you're listening to this and you're like, I love grape flavor. Fuck you, dude. This can be our next big debate where I'm like, I hate ketchup. And you're like, I like ketchup. And I'm like, go listen to a PlayStation podcast, you heathen. But this is uh this is, this is a hill I am willing to die on. And it is that grape flavored, artificially grape flavored, Candies, sodas, juices, what have you, are absolute dog trash and do not deserve to live. 
which is why it is so confusing to me and has always been so perplexing that for whatever reason, Mountain Dew Pitch Black is the exception to the rule. There's something about it where you taste it, and only 50% tastes like a grape soda. The other 50% tastes like a very distinct Mountain Dew flavor. But it's one of those things where it's just like, how the hell did Mountain Dew manage to take grape, the worst artificial fruit flavor of all time, and make it not only good, but great? Because pitch black is not a good flavor. It is a great flavor. And that's the other part I want to bring up about this, which is that pitch black, it might be, it might feel new because it just came out again. But remember, this is a 20-year-old flavor that we've gotten on and off again for over the past two decades. And it pains me because I hate grapes so much, but pitch black is so good that it reminds me that Mountain Dew used to have such a high standard for their flavors that they could not, would not, never at any point until very recently in history would release a Mountain Dew flavor unless it was anything, it, it couldn't be anything less than terrific. You know, all the original flavors, Mountain Dew, Code Red, Voltage, Pitch Black, Livewire, Whiteout, all these original Mountain Dew flavors, you know, I say original, basically referring from the time I was born until now. So basically we're talking about the nineties up until today, all these old school Mountain Dew flavors were just so excellent. They always have been. And then at some point in the past, like five years, Mountain Dew has just decided, fuck it. Who gives a shit? We'll just make whatever the hell we want. We'll slap a Mountain Dew sticker on it. And these idiots will buy it anyway. And they're right. We do, but we got like frostbite sucks. We got major melon. It sucks. We got this, uh, this, uh, what was that one with the taxi on it? Like the raspberry lemonade one it sucks. They did that Sprite Nike, uh, Sprite knockoff one. It was called Mountain Dew ice. That was like four or five years ago. It sucked. They just keep putting out all this trash, all these Christmas ones, the gingerbread one, the fruitcake one. It's like, what are we doing guys? This is not Mountain Dew. Like these random, like they try to take the Baja Blast name and capitalize on it. They're just like, here's Baja Mango and Baja Gold and Baja Flash. It's like, what are, stop. What are we doing? This is not Mountain Dew. And it just breaks my heart because getting pitch black on store shelves again for the first time in five years or whatever it's been is just a stark reminder of how truly great Mountain Dew was and can be when they only put their best out, when they focus on quality and not quantity. And PepsiCo, if you're listening, and I know you are, I'm putting I'm putting the ball in your court. Fucking make this right, dude. You had that, they had that berry one, whatever it was called. I forget what it was called. It was only at like Circle K, and it came out like last summer for like a month. And it was really good. And I was like, yeah, more of this shit. And it's just so weird because Mountain Dew, you got that brand to protect. Why would you want to just go willy-nilly putting your name all over shitty products? You know, if they ever brought back Whiteout, I know Whiteout is available in certain parts of the country, but if they ever brought back Mountain Dew Whiteout in the state of Florida, if I could buy it again, fuck, man. Just to sip on that again, experience that flavor profile again, and be reminded of what made Mountain Dew so great, what made me fall in love with it all those many, many moons ago. Mountain Dew, you're right up there with Sonic the Hedgehog and not wearing pants when you're home alone. And I just think it's so sad that Mountain Dew has just allowed itself to deteriorate. And thankfully, Pitch Black reminds us of what was so special about this brand to begin with. And so, guys, you know, I know it's an Xbox podcast. We have video game stuff to talk about. But um, if you're, if you're out grocery shopping this week, I highly recommend if you're in the States. It's also available in Canada. I know it's in the U.S. and Canada. I don't know if it's anywhere else. But highly recommend you pick yourself up some Mountain Dew Pitch Black. You owe it to yourself. And with that said, 
another thing I just I, I we'll skip the third one actually because it's it's Disney related and we don't need to talk about it. But the second one I want to talk about for what I've been eating this week is CeCe's Pizza. You guys, I live with regret. It lives inside of me. This might be the second time since Xbox On has started that I've had CeCe's Pizza. And I got to tell you, this is probably the first time in my life I've regretted it. See, this is the first time I've had CeCe's Pizza in a world where I have for a while been counting my calories, thinking about my sodium intake, trying to be better, not drinking too much soda, not drinking too much sugar, you know, trying to trying to focus on more water, trying to do morning stretches, hit my 10,000 steps a day. This is a, a, a Jesse over these past few years that has been very focused on just these fundamental basics of personal uh, of your of your of your bodily health. And so I haven't really indulged in the CC's. I mean, how could you? COVID wasn't a good time for CC's. No one was going out to the pizza buffet, the $7 pizza buffet. But a joke was made over the weekend while I was with my girlfriend and we were with a, a couple friends of ours and a joke was made over the weekend regarding the existence of CeCe's Pizza and I floated it as like a as a joking idea like, oh yeah, tonight when we go to CeCe's Pizza, blah, 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 blah. And unfortunately, the person I was with, you might know who this person is. His name is Hunter. He may or may not be an alternate ego of mine, but this guy, this enabler, I won't even call him a guy. I'll call him an enabler because that's what he is agreed to do this with me. He agreed to go to CeCe's Pizza with me and thus unraveled, you know, my entire existence, my entire identity, everything I've worked for these past two years became undone in this one meal uh, because we went to CeCe's Pizza and uh, it was, it was terrible. It was terrible. If I'm being honest, it wasn't okay. It wasn't mediocre. It wasn't, it was 0% satisfying. Like back dude, back in the day, you know how like a lot of people will like kind of burn out after high school, like their glory days or high school. And they'll just be like, you know, the, the stereotype about like the jock who just doesn't have much going for him anymore. He's just like, yeah, back in the day we used to, oh, coach used to run me in the heart up and down the showers. He used to run the shower up and down my body and oh, I miss football. Like that kind of like stereotype about like the people who are reliving the glory days of high school. I, I, I lived that experience a little bit with, with my food. Um, because high school was the glory days for my relationship with Taco Bell and CeCe's and just junk food. You know, you get a car, you get a part-time job, you and your buddies, what are you going to do? You're going to go fucking eat fast food at two in the morning on a Saturday because that's what high school is all about. And so I have very fond memories of high school. I remember back in the day, me and my friends on Friday nights, sometimes when we weren't working, we would go to the CeCe's pizza and we would have a contest. It was six bucks at the time, five, six bucks a buffet. And we'd have a competition who can eat the most pizza. Back in the day, my record was 22 slices. No big deal. I'm not not flexing or nothing. That's just it. Just is what it is. I'm excited as a 27 year old to go back to CeCe's Pizza and be like, okay, let's see how close to my old record I can get. 22 pieces. Oh boy, here we go. Um, first of all, I hit 15 and I regret it, but it wasn't a true 15 because I didn't eat the crust on any of my slices. So it was probably more like 11 or 12 slices when you really do the math. But not, from from the first bite to the last bite, none of it was satisfying. And I just, I was waiting for it to be good. I was like, but yeah, I love the buffalo chicken one. Ah, I love the mac and cheese one. Ah, I love the zesty ham one. But every time I bit into a new slice, I was just like, this is not doing it for me. It just, at no point was it satisfying. And by the end of it, I felt like total dog shit. So I just got to put it out there, guys. You know, you, you get older. You got to accept who you are. CeCe's Pizza. Maybe I went to a bad location. I don't know. I've never been to this location before because I think the last time I had CeCe's Pizza, I didn't even live in the state of Florida. I don't know. But 
I just got to put it out there, guys. We think we're impossible. We think we, th- we think we're invincible. We think we can do whatever we want. You know, we think about the crazy, amazing things we did in high school. Twenty-two slices of pizza. I know, dude. Imagine how many girls just wouldn't be able to keep their panties on if they knew when I walked into a room that I one time ate twenty-two slices of Cece's pizza in one sitting. I know, but unfortunately, that's not something I can do at my age anymore. And it's not satisfying. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't make you feel good. And I think at this point I'm at I'm at a juncture in my li- a junction in my life where I got to go down that that path of brown rice and grilled chicken and broccoli because I want to fucking breathe after I eat. I don't want to feel like dog shit anymore. But that's what I've been eating, guys. I mean, no 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 disrespect to pizza. Pizza will always be a part of my life. But Cece's, maybe it's time we part part ways. Maybe it's time we go in separate directions and we just we just agree that. Uh, the thing we once had is no longer there. And with that, I'll move on to what I've been playing, guys. <clears throat> I've been uh, playing two games this week. Uh, I wasn't one of them is Modern Warfare Two, and I wasn't gonna let that be the story again. Where I, I came to you and said, "Oh, I played Modern Warfare Two this week because I was too lazy to play anything else." And so I forced myself. I told my girlfriend, "Hey, let's play a new game together tonight." So I downloaded Life is Strange: True Colors, and I said, "We're fucking doing this." And uh, we, we started up, and I'm only probably about two hours into the game, so I'm not very far. Boy, oh boy, it's another Life is Strange game, and that's for, that's for sure. And the thing is, and my girlfriend was even joking about it, because I told her, I'm like, oh yeah, this game's made by a French developer, don't nod. And uh, uh, But I'm but this one was written by, um, I forget what team worked on this, but, but they had a different writing team. And I know a lot of the writers were from California. It's like more U.S. development efforts put into this game sorry that i didn't have my uh, information in front of me to talk about this accurately but <laughs> i'm just kind of going off the cuff here and um god almighty this this game is just as cringe as every other life is strange before where the writing is just like no one talks like that no one would do that no one would say that why are this brother why is there this situation with this brother and sister who haven't seen each other in many years who are now, you know, young adults are are getting together and they're at the brother's flat and they're just dancing around and jumping and playing air guitar to some sh- shitty indie hipster trash music. Like, why why is this happening? Why like why why do the the writers and, and the people behind the narrative of this game feel like this is a an appropriate thing for like a twenty five and a thirty year old to do together, especially twenty five and thirty year old that are directly related? It just doesn't make sense. And with that out of the way, I will say. The game's got my attention. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it. I love the Life is Strange series. I, I'm always a little disappointed by it because I felt like season one in the spinoff, uh, what is it called, after Before the Storm, I, I always felt like those two in particular were, were just so much better than Life is Strange 2 or Tell Me Why, which was Xbox published, or now Life is Strange 2 Colors. It just It feels like they never really recaptured that magic of the first game but they've all been engaging enough and fun enough to stick with and play. And so I really want to see if this ends up being a life is strange game. I like a lot more than maybe life is strange too, which I thought was super weak, but um, nonetheless, it is more life is strange. If you've ever played one of these games, I think it's, it's worth a try. It's on game pass, of course. So why not? But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm invested, you know, we're in a little fucking hipster Colorado. Everyone wears denim jackets and it works in like a freaking, record store and there's cats and people vape 
e-cigs and stuff like that. So it's all within the Life is Strange brand. And uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing kind of how it unfolds because the real drama really hasn't started to play out yet. So I'm really kind of in the early stages of figuring out exactly what this game is going to be. So that's Life is Strange. Um, so far, you know, I had a higher expectations that this would be like the best Life is Strange because that seems to be what people were saying about it. So far, I feel like it has potential to be one of the better ones, but definitely not as good as the original first one was. But nonetheless, I'm definitely looking forward to sticking with it and seeing what happens. So that's Life is Strange. The other thing is I've been playing more Modern Warfare 2. I just I, I, I can't keep talking about this, guys. I'm addicted to Modern Warfare 2. I fucked up. I upgraded from the regular version of the game to the $100 edition of the game. So I, it lets you pay the difference to upgrade. So I did it just so I could get the fucking battle pass and the COD points. And I feel gross about myself for doing this because I thought I only fe felt this way about the Black Ops games betrayer games but apparently i really like modern warfare 2 and i just i don't know what to tell you i like it so i'm playing it and i have fun with it so that's modern warfare 2 for you all right guys that's it for what i've been playing let's uh let's take a quick breather and then jump into the news all right guys let's start off with the news unfortunately like i said it is a it's a busy week for news but it's a it's a sad week for news as well so full disclosure we're going to be launching off into shit talking massive corporations because that's what you got to do sometimes so here we go starting off with our first story and this is basically three stories we're tying together into one mega story so we might take breaks in between segments and discuss certain aspects but let's just jump right in microsoft this is all from vgc of course the only website that i know of that exists other than maybe youtube and uh, sonic.com vgc reports microsoft have confirmed the rumors are true plans tell they they plan to lay off approximately 10,000 employees. This is Microsoft, not Xbox, Microsoft as a whole. The staff cuts will hit around 4.5% of the U.S. technology giant's 220,000-person workforce. Microsoft said that the layoffs will take place by the end of a third fiscal quarter on March 31st, 2023. Alongside the job cuts, Microsoft said it will also make changes to its hardware portfolio and, and lease uh, consolidation to create higher density across its workspaces. The company said that the actions were being taken, quote, in response to the macroeconomic conditions and the changing consumer prior or customer priorities. The cuts arrive one year to the day after Microsoft announced its intentions to purchase Activision Blizzard for around $69 billion, an unfathomable amount of money that could basically end poverty altogether. But according to Bloomberg, Bethesda Game Studios, as well as 343 Industries, have... <laughs> the company behind 2021's Halo Infinite were also affected. In addition, Microsoft's HoloLens business and some engineering divisions are also reportedly part of the cuts. Another report from Lords of Gaming claimed that 343 Industries had suffered a significant number of layoffs across the company, which are allegedly heavily towards quote, individuals working on the single-player side of the studio. Oh, that's great. Journalist Jason Schreier uh, of Bloomberg corroborated this claim, stating that the several several employees had indicated it had been hit hard. Kotaku had also claimed and confirmed that a number of developers from the Coalition, the Vancouver Canadian-based team from Microsoft that develops the Gears of War series, are also experiencing layoffs. Some former employees have already posted on social media to confirm that they've been let go, including Gary Well. I'm sorry if I, if I mispronounce anyone's name. Uh, Gary Welzek, principal engineer for Xbox Growth and Loyalty. Renee Soguico, I'm sorry, a PR manager at Bethesda. Kevin Schmidt, a senior designer on Halo Infinite. Jesse Stipek, 343's video producer. And Sam Lunghot, who was community manager for The Elder Scrolls Online over at Bethesda. According to a Business Insider report published on Wednesday, the company was deliberately targeting who it believes were, quote, underperforming employees in at least some part 
of the company. The publication claims that some managers were asked to identify employees who exist who would otherwise be put on performance coaching. All right, let's take a break there and then we'll bring in the other half because the other half is kind of related to the layoffs, but not exactly a layoff. <sighs> Deep breath. Fuck Microsoft. Uh, fuck Xbox. Here's the thing. I gotta preface with this because I want to talk about this purely from the perspective of video games and what this means for us as players and for the games we love and the people who, most importantly, the people who are affected by these layoffs who create the video games we love. Because whether you lose your job or you know someone loses your job, this has a massive impact on the culture of your workplace, whether you like it or not. There's a lot of uh, just completely warped and disgusting and twisted um, just perception in this world. And I, I always, I, I often make the mistake possibly of defaulting and blaming it on Americans or whatever, because that is my experience and my perspective as an American. But we have to, we have to preface with this first because it matters. It fucking matters where people have bought so much into corporate speak, PR speak, politicians speak, mainstream media speak, to where people don't even realize they're doing it, but it's like people act like like it's like a mature or an adult thing to do this, where they hear devastating news and they just try to shrug it off and make, make sense of it and be like, well, that's just the reality of the situation. Well, that's just how businesses run. As if it's like some like really like higher ground, adult, mature kind of comment to make. As if this is okay. Let me make this very clear. Microsoft has so much fucking money that they can easily afford to be bloated by 5% of their workforce and still make a fucking killing and be the one of the all-time biggest companies in the history of humanity. And remember, Microsoft is one of the few companies that makes so much money that there are nations, entire nations, entire developed nations that make less money than this fucking single corporation. So you should have zero emotional concern for the well-being of the machine, and you should be entirely dedicated to the concern of the individuals who comprise the company. Remember, we do not like Xbox, or may, I can't speak for you guys, I can speak for myself. I don't like Xbox because I think the Microsoft logo is cool and I want the machine to keep turning. I like Microsoft, I like Xbox, I like Surface, I like all this shit, because the individuals behind the scenes who make this shit happen, the culture that these human beings have created that have led to these products and these services and these operating systems and the software and these games and all this shit. I don't give a shit about the machine. I don't care about Bill Gates. I know people can't, like, not you guys, not people listening, but generally people who don't care as much or know as much about Microsoft, people who like to just be like, oh, yeah, the Bill Gates company or the fucking... It, it, it's like the way people talk about Apple, as if they always bring up Steve Jobs, as if Steve Jobs has anything to fucking do with Apple anymore. You know, it's like he's literally a dead person. And it's just so it's just so indiscriminately erases what matters with these companies, which is the humans. And so I just want to preface as rambly and incoherent as that may have sounded. Fuck Microsoft. This is disgusting. And I the thing that really turns my stomach is seeing all the people who want to make this into a console war thing or who want to try and like justify the corporation's need to shed dead weight or whatever the fuck. And I say that with like air quotes. Because under no circumstances does Microsoft need to lose 10,000 employees. And I don't know, maybe if you're someone who maybe disagrees with this or agrees with it. I don't know. If you're someone who reads uh, the inclusion for outlets like VGC to note, hey, this is one year to the date that they proposed to buy Activision Blizzard for $69 billion. If you view that, like in the inclusion of that kind of statement as like editorializing or trying to 
help readers draw connections to be like, ooh, Microsoft bad. They shouldn't buy Activision. They should hire they should keep people employed. Listen, this is not editorialization. This is not bias. This is not an agenda of any sort of the imagination. This is cold hearted fact. At the end of the day, you are absolutely fucked if you are gonna take $69 billion, money that could shift and change the actual fucking global world, and try to buy the people that make Call of Duty, and I'm saying this as someone who loves Call of Duty, a fucking video game that doesn't fucking matter, and then be able to turn a blind eye as you take 10,000 people and say you no longer have a job. You you no longer have a, a, a fucking source of income, a way to sustain and to provide for yourself and your family. Fuck you. We're trying to buy Activision here. This just underlines and hi- and just highlights so much of what my initial concern and upset and just frustration with this deal was always about, which is that we lose sight so much in what a company is supposed to be about. And we'll get more specifically into the developers, and I'm sorry if this sounds preachy, but I, I fuck it. It's my podcast, and this is how I want to talk about this, so whatever. A company exists to create a product, or this is as fundamental as I can fucking make it. A, a company exists to make a product or a service that will better the quality of life for humankind. And if that pro- if, if, if the world decides that this product or service is valuable or something that they desire or appreciate or find use and value in, they will decide to support that company by purchasing that product, by subscribing to that service, by engaging in that activity, whatever the fuck it is. And the reason why this brings value is because it slightly improves the quality of living and also it provides a source of income, a job, a, a, a means for work, for people to find a way to make a living. That is the sole purpose of a company. Create the automobile because the automobile made life so much better. Now we can go places. Also, creating the automobile creates jobs for people. That's great. So for a company like Microsoft, and this is what every company tries to do. This is why I hate Disney. So they're just like, fuck you, we'll buy Fox. We won't be creative, we'll buy Fox. This is what I hate about Microsoft right now. We won't be creative and come up with good games on our own. We'll just fucking buy Activision. And these people just sit on the sidelines and champion this shit like it's the way to go. But it's gross. It's gut-wrenching because you have $69 billion to say we're the most powerful. We are, I keep saying the most, top three most powerful corporations in the entire existence of humanity. But we are so creatively vapid that we can't come up with a a way to be more creative in the game space. So we're just going to buy Activision. But by the same token, we can't use that same kind of money to secure employment for 10,000 of our workers. And don't look at the whole ratio of like, it's only 4.5% of their workforce. They have 220,000 employees. 10,000 is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. Fuck that, dude. 10,000 people is 10,000 people. So this stuff infuriates me to no end because it's entirely unjustifiable. Microsoft, if you feel like the economy is getting rough or things are getting a little uh, turbulent, I would recommend, since you have so much fucking capital that you can go spend on Activision Blizzard, I would recommend maybe you take that kind of money and instead of just blowing it on things you don't need or things that don't make the world a better place, that do not genu- like genuinely improve and innovate in the, in, in, in the space and make the quality of life for humankind better, since, since buying Activision does not do that, in fact, at all, and it's creatively devoid and vapid, since that's the case, maybe what you should do is $69 billion and an approaching a, a looming economic recession is say, hmm, how can we take our workforce and encourage teams to build some service, some technology, some product that is going to prove beneficial 
in our market, in our time that we're living in. I don't know what it is. A program, a fucking electronic device. Who knows? Microsoft, you don't have to make electronics. You can make whatever you want. You can make bottled water for all I fucking care. You're Microsoft. You can do whatever you want. But maybe you think about all the money you have and all the staff you have and how much responsibility and power you wield between those two things and say, how can we use the money to support the employees? Because if we invest the money in this staff and we invest in new creative outlets and new ventures, we will be rewarded. Because no one feels bad about layoffs when it's like, oh, a company tried really hard to do this new creative thing and it bombed and they lost a ton of money and it's really fucking up the company. And unfortunately, they had to do layoffs. No one feels bad about that, like for the company. No one, no, no one, or so no, no one's ever mad at the company when that happens. But when the company has $69 billion to buy Activision, but can't keep 4% of its fucking workplace in, employed because of an economic recession looming, fuck you. There's no remorse. There's no, there's no sympathy to be had for a company like Microsoft when something like this happens. It's purely disgusting. You invest your money in your team. You push your teams to do new things, to be creative, to create new products, because that'll make the world a cooler place. That's why I like Surface. I like Surface because I'm a tech geek who likes when my phone fucking flips and folds. I'm a freak who likes it when my keyboard can rip off my laptop because it's not good enough for my laptop to just be a clamshell like every other laptop. I need my laptop to have a stupid fucking kickstand and be able to have a detachable keyboard. That's why I like Panos Panay and the Surface team and Microsoft so much is because they do shit like that. I'm like, wow, that's innovative. That's cool. It changes the way I think about technology. It changes the way I use technology. That's the cool shit. That's the reason why we like Microsoft, right? We like Xbox because, wow, it's really fucking fun to play Halo 3 online with your friends. That is so much more fun than 10 years before this when I was playing Super Smash Brothers with my brothers, Super Smash Bros with my brothers on the N64. I like this leap in evolution in technology. I like this progression forward. This is fun. This is cool. This is beneficial to me as a human being. This is why I like Microsoft. I do not like Microsoft because... They lost a contract with the U.S. government for millions and millions of dollars that were basically allowing them to justify creating HoloLens to sell to the U.S. military so we can just take tax dollars and invest more in a bloated military instead of doing things like giving people fucking health care or helping people not be homeless. Instead, we're just going to fucking invest in more bombs for brown people in third world countries. And that's why we don't have HoloLens anymore is because Microsoft can't find value in HoloLens outside of basically selling it extortion for tax dollars from the U.S. government. It's fucking disgusting. And now we're looking deeper into these layoffs and it's like, wow, they're deeply cutting staff at developers like The Coalition and at Bethesda. Fucking Bethesda. Think about that for a second. If Bethesda wasn't acquired by Microsoft and they had remained independent, ZeniMax would be in a position right now where they could make the call as to whether or not they need to downsize and lay people off. But because they're owned by Microsoft, Microsoft gets to decide the fate of these employees. And that's another reason why consolidation isn't good because this is yet another company, yet another situation where more people have less power because big corporation has everything. Fucking sucks. Maybe these people at Bethesda who just lost their job wouldn't have fucking lost their job if Microsoft didn't have to create create or consolidate the industry more because they can't figure out how to get a fucking game out the door in under 25 years with any of their first party developers. So they had to go and swoop up Bethesda and then lay off part of their staff. That fucking blows. And a year and a half ago or a year ago when we were having this conversation about Halo Infinite where the stories of the development hell was just that Microsoft didn't want to put in the money to have a full-time staff. And so everyone was on contract work and constantly flexing in and out of the developer. And there was never a full-time permanent staff. And it made it very hard for people to get concrete work done because your staff and your team and your projects and your objectives were constantly shifting and changing due to this ever-rotating cycle of people coming in and out of the studio. 
yeah, that 343 Industries that desperately needs a core team that is full-time with a singular unified vision, yeah, just go ahead and deeply lay off people at that team. That makes so much fucking sense, Microsoft. Good job. Oh, and focus on the fucking first-party content, too. Yeah, because the last thing Halo Infinite desperately needs is some more strong story content. That's great. That's great. Good job. Like, I just want to make it entirely clear. I host an Xbox podcast because I love Xbox. I do not host an Xbox podcast because I'm some fucking corporate shill for Microsoft. That's disgusting. And I see these fucking people trying to, like, chase cloud on Twitter and try to make their whole personality identify uh, or an identity centered around a fucking video game brand. It's so cringy. You're fucking... Twitter profile picture is the Xbox logo, and all you do is retweet the same seven fucking people on Twitter that have the same opinions about you, about Xbox, and you just shit on people for preferring to play on PlayStation, which is so fucking stupid. And I see these kinds of people out here. Normally, I can just eye roll and move on and forget about them because, like, you're kind of pathetic and I don't give a shit about you. But this makes me infuriated when I see these kinds of characters out here trying to make this a console war thing trying to defend why Microsoft had to lay people off and how this will be good for Starfield. Fuck Starfield, dude. No one cares about Starfield right now. This isn't about Starfield. This is about 10,000 people that are now unemployed because Microsoft could have kept them but chose to do the safe and lazy thing and just lay them off because they really got to chase this fucking Activision Blizzard shit. And I don't mean to keep drawing this direct correlation. Obviously, it's not just as simple as, like, they could just back out of the deal and have $69 billion. I'm using this as an example to say, how can a company that has $69 billion fucking dollars in cash laying around be the same company that has to lay off 10,000 people? It just doesn't compute. It's fucked. And so I have nothing good to say about this. Like, literally just... Full frontal fuck you, Microsoft. Full frontal fuck you, Satya Nadella, and all the investors and the shareholders who have any kind of weigh-in on these kinds of situations. Fuck you. That's all there is to it. Simply put. All right, there's another half, not half, but there's another part of this ongoing people coming in and out of Xbox Game Studios right now that is not directly, well, maybe it is, we don't know the behind the scenes, maybe it's directly related to the, the layoffs, but... Deeply affects 343, and I feel like this is kind of the best segue we're going to have here to kind of go into this. So I want to try to make this part of this three-parter story, uh, if if you will. So in addition to all the people losing their jobs right now because Microsoft are fucking lazy, soulless hacks like every other major corporation in the world that owns the world and does nothing but uh, basically just try to steal all your fucking money. 343 Industries is reportedly losing another member of its senior leadership team. According to a report from Bloomberg, very reliable reporter Jason Schreier, the Halo veteran Joseph Staten, who basically made the Halo community jizz their pants in excitement when he came on board the team, is now leaving the developer to rejoin Xbox Game Studios Publishing. Now, before we continue on, this is according to Jason Schreier's reporting from Bloomberg. So is this confirmed? No. But does Jason Schreier have a damn near perfect track record? Yeah, so we probably know where this is headed. Joseph Staten previously left the publishing division of Xbox, which partners with indie studios to create Xbox franchises in 2020 to help 343 ship the troubled Halo Infinite. Having previously worked on the very first Halo titles, mostly focusing on story and characters, Staten was made project lead of the game's campaign mode. The original Halo Combat Evolved, of course, is what we're talking about. 
News of Staten's upcoming departure coincides with Microsoft's announcement of mass layoffs. A report from Lords of Gaming claimed that 343 had suffered a significant number of layoffs, which are heaviest towards individuals working on single player uh, on the single player side of the studio, as we had just uh, discussed. Schreier corroborated this claim, stating that several employees had indicated 343 had been hit hard. Staten's exit follows a recent senior departure in 343, including its multiplayer, multiplayer creative director, its director of engineering, and Bonnie Ross, the studio head who was with the team for 15 years. Halo Infinite has a tr had a troubled production, suffering various delays and cha uh, changes in leadership in the years leading up to its December 2021 release and since. So... Here's the thing, Bonnie Ross, let's let's try to be really rational about this for a second. When Bonnie Ross left 343 late summer, early fall last year, they, they mentioned the new structure, The I, I, I forget the three guys in, specifically who were basically put as the shepherds of 343 going forward, but they had a new senior development team or senior management team kind of put together, the, this group of three individuals. It is entirely possible as complete outsiders not knowing what's going on behind the scenes that these guys are shaking things up heavily at 343. That they, they, they've they long looked at the inefficiencies and the places where there's room for opportunity and room for improvement and thought, this is what this team needs. Man, if I were just in charge, I would do this, this, and this, and this is how we would turn things around. Maybe that's the case. And maybe Joseph Stain leaving is a good thing because he is confident that the new senior leadership at 343 have everything under control and have a really good unified vision in mind and are going to take 343 to where they need to be. Bring them back to the highest highs and get Halo back to where it's always needed to be for as long as 343 has basically been working on the franchise, or at least that is the case in the eyes of the consumer. Maybe. That's me trying to be a uh, silver lining, uh, positive side, glass half full about the situation. It's totally possible because remember Joseph Staten was basically dragged into 343 he offered to kind of help for a little while and then he asked the team at 343 anything else you need from me and they're kind of like can you just kind of stay here and so his his whole way of coming back into 343 was always sort of a a little bit like dragged into it kind of situation not like a, oh hey guys I'd love to come back to Halo so it's kind of understandable to think that maybe he wasn't going to stick around forever but the timing couldn't be any worse. You know, we're talking about the fucking layoffs and the senior leadership shakeups that have been happening the past couple months. And is now really the best time? Where is Halo Infinite right now? Well, the game is finally in a really incredible 1.0 release state, if you ask me. Um, I think we're getting to the point where we're ready to start seeing what, what the roadmap is. Where's the next campaign DLC? What's that going to look like? What's up with this Tatanka Battle Royale mode? Let's see that roadmap for Seasons 3 and 4 multiplayer. Like, what, what do we got going on? What's going on with Halo? Apparently nothing. Apparently it's just a bunch of fucking layoffs and departures. Um, so he doesn't bode well. And I think Joseph Stane, and I'll say the last time I'll preference with this because it's probably annoying to hear, as an outsider looking in, as someone who doesn't know the behind the scenes workings, I think the thing that mattered the most with Joseph Stane, at least in like the past year since the game has shipped and since it's been out, is that I think Joseph Stane more than anything was a a beacon of reassurance and comfort for the Halo community. Just knowing that Joseph Stain was there kind of gave us all this comfort in knowing that, hey, but they're probably going to turn around because they got that OG Bungie guy that's kind of like pulling the team together. So I think everything will be okay at the end of the day because we got Joseph, right? We got Joe. We got Joe Stain, right? Without him there, you know, whether this is a good thing, a bad thing, a neutral thing, it doesn't have much of an effect, who knows? I think this paints a really bad picture and it puts Halo fans back into an insecure state because without Joe... 
I don't know. Is, is 343 fucked again? Are we going to be, are they going to try to turn Halo into something it's not again? Are they going to totally botch the single player development? Is single player development now kind of dead because they laid off so much of the single player focused team? Like, what is happening, dude? And you keep seeing the murmurings among Xbox fans, the, 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 the kind of assumptions, like, look at the way they're marketing Starfield. Look at the way Xbox is really pushing Starfield and really big on Starfield. People keep saying Microsoft or Xbox is trying to de-emphasize Halo and trying to start going gung-ho, like, all hands-on Starfield. They, they, they look at what Bethesda did with Fallout 3 and with Skyrim and all this shit, and they're like, we're so ready for Starfield to be our big mascot for Xbox. It's a big Bethesda first-party game. It's only on Xbox and PC. This is it, baby. We can finally have a new IP to say, we love Halo. Halo helped build Xbox and, and give it the foundation it needed, but, boy, in the 2020s, our mascot is Starfield. And I think there's some there's some potential truth to that rumor. But then again, Microsoft could be fucking up by putting all their eggs in this basket. Because again, they clearly don't know how to manage teams properly. They clearly don't know how to set expectations properly. They clearly don't know how to market and handle their own teams properly. They just keep showing that they're inept at it time and time again. So who's to even really say that Starfield is going to be the smash hit that Xbox so desperately needs and wants it to be? Sorry about that. I hit, I hit my desk on the Whatever. And I just... I just wonder, it's like, don't just don't just totally give up on Halo and go all hands on deck for Starfield because you guys haven't proved jack shit. You know, Starfield isn't out yet. We don't know that it's the next best thing for, for Xbox. We don't know that it's the next big thing, I should say. And I don't know. So I don't, I guess we're so fresh off this news. This Joseph State news broke 30 minutes before I started recording. I don't know where I am with it, really. I don't know what to think about it. I don't, I don't know... I, 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 the only thing I can think is it just sounds like bad news for Xbox fans, for Halo fans. I think this this really puts Halo community back in another vulnerable situation where it's just like, what are we doing with Halo? How do they just so uh, catastrophically fuck it up? If all of this fixing Halo Infinite over the past year was just for them to finally get the game in a really great spot like they have it now, just for them to be like, okay, it's okay for us to move on to the next Halo game, which is what some Halo content creators and such are are suggesting. That would be so catastrophically, disappointingly miserable. Like, why, why would anyone want that? Like, Halo Infinite is finally where it needed to be a year ago. Let's let's double down. Let's get that story DLC. Let's get that Battle Royale mode. Let's get that Season 3 and Season 4, and let's see some new weapons. Let's see what does the team have cooking up. It's like, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what the team has cooking up because they're losing everybody. So... Hopefully, in the in the end, this is a good thing. This is, uh, well, they're really confident in the leadership they have now, and they think that we're in a restructuring phase. So, at the end of the day, this is just a growing pains kind of thing. But I'm tired of waiting around for Microsoft and 343 to get their shit together. So, I, I just got to call it like I see it now. And from what I see right now, this looks dire. So... All right, let's try to be done with all of this news just because I, you know, I run into the ground. I don't be, be really interested to see what you guys think about it. I'd love to see your write-ins for the love of God. If we just start seeing a, a slew of, of fucking write-ins about why Microsoft is justified in downsizing. People are just like, like, listen, if that's how you feel, I encourage you to write in with your opinions. I'll, I'll happily read your comment on the show and I'm, I'm open to anyone's view and opinion, but it, it breaks my heart that we've just we're just so beyond fucked with everything this is how I feel about politics and it just obviously seeps into corporate rulings corporate politics and just the way consumers and people feel about other people just humanity corporations politics everything 
where we're just so like, why are we always trying to rationalize and make sense out of fucked things? You know, again, it's like it, it doesn't make you mature or realistic or savvy to be like, well, that's just economic reality. Well, that's just business sense, you know? Like that doesn't that's not a that's not like some like cool way to rationalize what's happening. Like this is a very big problem and we should work really hard to make sure that trends like this aren't reoccurring. That it's not normal for big corporations to be able to just lay off 10,000 people when they're economically in a fucking fit spot, you know? Microsoft is making hand over fist money from Teams and Windows and Office 365 and Xbox makes good money. And remember, guys, you're the ones always, not you people listening to the podcast, but to the little Xbox fanboys that want to defend this brand to the ends of the earth no matter what. You're the ones in the Twitter comments all day long who, instead of actually like living a productive life, are trying to fight with people with 20 Twitter followers over uh, over how Game Pass is profitable and it's really good and you just don't understand it. It's like, okay. Well, if Game Pass is so fucking profitable, why the fuck do they have to lay off 10,000 people, dude? I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying it's just even more unjustifiable when Game Pass is so profitable, right? When buying Activision Blizzard is such a savvy move, right? I don't know, man. Just That's so fucked, dude. Fuck all that. Take care of the people, man. What is the point of a corporation? What is the point of a product or a service? What is the point of any of this when people are jobless, homeless... They can't afford health care. They can't afford to buy a house and they're stuck renting forever. Their price of groceries and energy has doubled or tripled. What is the point of any of it? Who gives a shit about Game Pass? Who gives a shit about fucking a new iPhone? When people are just fucking constantly being kicked to the fucking curb because we got to worry about the health of the company, the corporation, the shareholders, the politicians. So fucked, dude. So fucked. Anyway, we'll move on now because mm, <laughs> let's talk about um, yeah, some some possibly good news. Hey, VGC, the only website I ever knew about. Destruction All-Star Studios, developer Lucid Games, have announced that they're actually working with Xbox-owned team Rare as a support studio on the game Sea of Thieves. The independent Liverpool-based developer confirmed it had teamed up with Xbox's Rare in an update on its website and social media channels. Quote, it's been, incredible, it's been incredible supporting them on their thrilling pirate adventure, and we can't wait to see where the legendary voyage will take us. Whatever the fuck that means. Lucid Games was formed in 2011 by senior management and ex-staff from Bizarre Creations after parent company Activision closed the Project Gotham Racing <laughs> and Geometry and Blur st- <laughs> Geometry War Studios uh, Blur. Uh, f- fucking awesome. Can't get like three sentences into a news story without learning about a big corporation laying people off and shutting down studios. Anyway, according to its website, Lucid is also currently supporting development of Respawn's hit battle royale game Apex Legends, as well as the upcoming EA Sports PGA Tour. The studio was initially given development duties for Sony's Twisted Metal video game following their work with Sony on on the recently released Destruction All-Stars. But the unannounced project was later moved to PlayStation's internal team Fire Sprite Studio. So, yeah, this is weird. Destruction All-Stars, uh, PlayStation 5 launch game that completely bombed. It was quickly given away as a PlayStation Plus game and then swept under the rug and, like, sold for 20 bucks. Lucid, yeah, they were working closely with Sony, and then the rumor had been for about the past year that they were probably working on a Twisted Metal game for PlayStation. So these guys were pretty intimately working with Sony for the past couple of years, and now, lo and behold, they're like, eh, fuck it. We're not with Sony anymore. I guess things didn't go well with them, but now we're working with Xbox and Rare on, uh, on Sea of Thieves, so... 
This is really cool. Again, we keep talking about this new model and trend the industry is headed in where games are just so big and cumbersome to develop and make that every team kind of needs support work. So, you know, everyone's getting a support team to help them with it. The initiative's got fucking Crystal Dynamics. Now, uh, Lucid Games is helping out Rare. This, this is just all commonplace stuff as we keep talking about more and more. So, I don't know. It's cool to see that Sea of Thieves is getting support work. I assume a lot of this probably has to do with more and more of the Rare team moving away from Sea of Thieves and starting to work on Everwild. Their, uh, their prematurely announced game that's been in development for a long time and we probably won't see forever because that's the story of every Xbox game. But nonetheless, we're excited to learn more about that game and to see it in action. And uh, it's cool to see that they're getting some support work to help, well, one, give Lucid Games a gig because they clearly didn't hit the mark with, with, um, with Destruction All-Stars. And two give rare some ability to kind of step back and work on something other than sea of thieves because i really like sea of thieves i really admire and appreciate that game but it does make me a little sad that rare is kind of so tied up with that project because i want to see rare do more stuff which is why i was so excited when they announced everwild because i'm like oh cool they're doing other stuff they're not just permanently on sea of thieves like this is cool like what is this and then of course they rebooted it in in like two years into development and now that game's probably a billion years away from coming out, but nonetheless, it is just exciting to know that Rare is being being kind of positioned to, to be able to do shit, and uh, other teams are being able to give, be given work. I don't really know that this news story really needed to go up here in the main news segment because I don't have a whole lot to say about it other than that, but cool thing to note, nice little palate cleanser from our, uh, our first story. I, I think we can all agree. All right, next up, let's get negative again. VGC reports NVIDIA and Google have both expressed concerns to the FTC in the U.S. about Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard, according to a new report. And uh, Bloomberg is the report. They cite sources familiar with the matter, who claim the two companies spoke with the FTC about their own issues with the potential deal. In December, the FTC announced plans to file a lawsuit in a bid to stop Microsoft's $69 billion acquisition of Activision, which argues it would enable the companies to suppress competitors. We've talked about that a million times before. Fuck off. Who cares? According to Bloomberg sources, both NVIDIA and Google provided information to support FTC's arguments that the acquisition could give Microsoft an unfair advantage in cloud subscription and mobile gaming. However, one source also claimed <clears throat> also claimed that while NVIDIA made a case for a need for equal and open access to games, it didn't directly oppose the acquisition. Microsoft continues to try and maintain that it wants to work with the uh, concerned parties in order to satisfy the concerns they may have about the deal. Bloomberg talks about how Microsoft spokesperson David Cuddy said, we are in the we are prepared to address and have been proactive addressing issues raised by regulators and competitors to ensure the deal closes with confidence, blah, blah, blah. We want people to have more access to games, not less, whatever. But this is just more, again, this is just like the last story. This is probably something we could have put in like the stories of model amusement, but having not only... <laughs> Two massive tech corporations with NVIDIA and Google now starting to raise concerns. And this is not, as the story even notes, not necessarily, especially with NVIDIA, them being like, okay, we're trying to block this deal or stop it from happening. But it is them being like, we got some consent. We got some, we got some questions about this. We got some you know, concerns. Just more fuel on this fire, more uphill battle for Microsoft to uh, conquer as they use 79 69 billion dollars to uh try and buy call of duty instead of keep people employed so i don't know again i i guess that could have gone into a different segment but the next two stories i'm confident are uh big stories too i'm excited to talk about especially the last one but let's get to that last one by way of first talking about this one 
You like that roundabout talking? Guys, Ubisoft, they fucked up. We talked about it last week. Well, they fucked up again. Now we got to talk about that. From VGC, French trade union Sol- Soldaires, Sol- Soldaires Informatique has called on Ubisoft Paris workers to strike after the company delivered a worrying strategic update. Last week, following the news of the delayed Skull and Bones for the billionth fucking time, canceled three unannounced, unannounced Ubisoft games and planned to strengthen its focus on bigger brands and live services following weaker-than-expected software sales over the holiday season. Ubisoft also announced plans to make 200 million euro in cut costs over the next two years through targeting, restructuring, divesting, and non-core assets to usual natural attrition, which basically means layoffs. Guys, the economy is getting great, guys. Everyone's losing their jobs. This is fun shit. And in the email sent to employees coinciding the announcements, Ubisoft CEO Yves Gallant, who we've usually spoken well of on this show, uh, reportedly told staff that the onus is on them to deliver the latest targets and reverse the company's fortunes. In light of the recent events on Tuesday, the Ubisoft Paris sector of tech-focused union Solidaires Informic called on workers to stage a half-day strike on Friday, January 27th. Good to them. Good for them. Quote, according to the uh, to Gilmont, the ball is in our court, but the money stays with them in their pockets, it wrote. In a statement, Mr. Gilmont announces the worrying future for Ubisoft, saying that if the request, uh, sorry, if the request to employees uh, to be especially careful and strategic with their spending, and it's an ironic, uh, ironic comment to make considering the company's editorial strategy the last few years is, and it's, and how the fact that that is not funny. Damn, I cannot read. Let me slow down. When Mr. Gilmont speaks of attrition and organization adjustments, it means staff reductions, dissecting studio closures, salary cuts, disguised layoffs, etc. On several occasions, Mr. Gilmont is trying to shift the blame once again onto several employees. He expects to, uh, he expects employees to mobilize, to give it their all, and to be as effective as possible and lean as possible. The words mean something over time. Managerial pressure, burnout, etc. Mr. Gilmont asks a lot of employees, but without any compensation. Solidiers informique, the French baguette, French onion soup. Publication says that they issued a list of four demands to Ubisoft. They're seeking immediate 10% increase in salary for all compensate uh, to all salaries to compensate for inflation, improve working conditions, including introduction of a four-day work week. God, I fucking wish. And they are also calling for transparency on the evolution of the workforce, both locally and globally, and a strong commitment against disguised dismissals and a condemnation of abuse management. Uh, managerial policy policies that push employees to resign. So following this demand, this threat to strike, Yves Gilman responds and goes, oops, I fucked up. So in an apology, his comments appear uh, to basically, you know, originally place the burden on, on, on the employees to fix the situation. But as he said, the ball is in your court, but when Guillemont goes to talk about this and apologize for it and kind of backtrack a little bit, he goes, I heard your feedback and I'm sorry that it was perceived the way uh, the way it was. According to our site's sources, when, I, when I'm saying the ball is in your court to deliver a lineup of, on time and at the expected level of quality, I wanted to convey the idea that more than ever, I need your talent and energy to keep, make it happen. This is a collective journey that starts on the course with myself, with a leadership team to create the conditions for all of us to succeed together. So let me stop. I already understand what he meant from the get with when he says the ball is in your court where Gilmont basically, I I believe what he's saying. Cause I, 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 the first time I heard the quote, 
I also interpreted it that way where he doesn't mean the ball's in your court. Make sure we don't fucking fail. Make sure we don't fucking go out of business. I, I also heard it as like, the ball's in your court. You guys are the creative forces that make these games what they are. You know, I encourage you to just continue to put out the best creative efforts you've ever done before. And, you know, our great games will speak for themselves. That's kind of how I interpreted it. It was supposed to be like a word of encouragement, but it was kind of misconstrued as like, yo, the ball's in your court. We're fucking failing. It's all your fault. Make better games, you know? Sure, if someone wants to read it that way, I don't blame them because it's easy to interpret that way and it's kind of worded in, in such a way where it, it lends itself to that interpretation. But I, I personally didn't see it that way and I do think Gilmont really did mean in a better way. It was a poor choice of words for sure. But either way, the problem with <laughs> Ubisoft is so fucked. They have a staff of like like 20,000, 20, yeah, I think it's like over 20,000 team, uh, team members, staff, um, <laughs> which is like, Double what Microsoft just laid off, basically. So it's a huge staff. And um, basically, they just, they really, aside from like Far Cry 6 and uh, Ubisoft's, what, what was it? Uh, da, 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 Assassin's Creed Valhalla. They really haven't had a, a hit in recent years. And so it's looking rough for Ubisoft. And I don't blame their their team at all for making these demands, wanting a four-day work week instead of a five-day work week, wanting a 10% raise fuck man i want those things too you know like i'd be a hypocrite if i said i i don't support this stuff but it's funny because it's only funny not like haha funny but funny as in peculiar and interesting because it puts ubisoft deeper into the space they're in where stocks not doing well their recent games haven't performed well they just canceled a bunch of games they don't really have anything too exciting or promising on the horizon it's really going to save them from this kind of drought they're in Recent releases have underperformed. And now on top of all of that, <laughs> your staff is demanding a four-day work week and an immediate 10% raise. As much as I support that and as much as I wish for that to happen, I, dude, I think what's most likely going to happen is Ubisoft's about to be hit with some massive layoffs. And that, again, it fucking sucks. Here's the thing. Is this necessarily a one-to-one -one thing akin to what Microsoft just did. I don't really know because you can make the argument that Ubisoft is kind of hurting and, and they're at a, at a point where they need to start letting people go in order to tighten things up and figure it out, you know, and figure out how to stay afloat and keep the company going. I don't know. That's one thing. But is Ubisoft financially fit enough to be raising everyone's salary, not laying off a single soul and just staying the course until things work out for them? I, I actually don't know. I don't. I, I know Ubisoft was once regarded as one of the biggest publishers in gaming these days they they definitely feel like they've fallen from grace and so i don't know where their financial standing is i assume they're still in a relatively strong space because games like assassin's creed and far cry are among the best-selling most lucrative properties in gaming history and so i assume they're in a pretty strong situation despite their recent hiccups and that it's really not so much an issue of is Ubisoft going to be out of business in the next few years and more a situation of what is Ubisoft going to do to fix this before it gets worse? You know, does that make sense? So I, I don't know, man, Ubisoft is shooting themselves in the foot hard and I think they need to come out and say, Hey guys, here's what we got for this year. Here's guaranteed what's coming out. And here's some games we can promise for you. They need to get that X defined game out the door. They need to get some more concrete info on this avatar game. We need to see this this uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage game. Put a date on it. Like we need some some stuff to give us some confidence in Ubisoft. Uh, because other than that, I, I think they're kind of fucked right now. Um, I hate to see it, but I, I I don't see how Ubisoft gets out of the situation they're in 
without having to consolidate and downsize. And that's what they're talking about doing. So on the contrary, I think these employees, not only are they not about to get the pay increase and the work four day work week they're asking for, I think some of them are about to be without a job. So I don't wish that on anyone. I feel for them. I deeply, deeply hope it doesn't actually get to that and that Ubisoft is able, you know, because this is no doubt the true responsibility rests solely on the shoulders of, of the upper management, of the leadership. Because the developers are going to make the games they want to make or they're going to make the games you tell them to make. And when you look at all the live service trend chasing shit that Ubisoft has been putting out slash announcing slash canceling lately, what is clear to me is that this is a top-down thing where management is saying, we need a live service game. We need a Destiny. We need a Fortnite. We need something like that. This is not creatives on the ground level saying, my dream is to make a game that's Call of Duty adjacent called X Defiant, and it has all the characters from your favorite Tom Clancy series. No. No no pie-in-the-sky, boots-on-the-ground, young, starry-eyed developer at Ubisoft is thinking like that or dreaming that way. These are top-down games being pushed onto them. So it is tone-deaf for Gilmont to even say this, even if the intention was... You know, it's I'm relying on you hardworking creatives to create great work to help pull us out of this dark period. Even if that is what he means, it's a little tone deaf because it still falls on you and upper management for putting Ubisoft in this position where we're trend chasing and not creating great games. I think there is a market in a world where everything is Apex Legends and Call of Duty Warzone, and that's what the other big publishers have going on. In a world where Microsoft is just fucking announcing games that they never put out and then they have a successful live service game and see if these in this in this ongoing world where everything is consolidation and live service and battle passes and in-game concerts and Halloween events, I personally believe there's a market for a publisher that just makes really fucking kick-ass games. Make the game you want to make and then focus on how you market that and how you reach an audience. Because I promise you. Ubisoft hasn't lost the ability to make good games. They have talented people who make great shit, who have great capabilities. Let them make some great games and stop shoving the fucking the fucking Tom Clancy IP down these people's throats. Tom Clancy died like a decade ago. Let him just be dead. Leave him the fuck alone and let these guys make some video games. I promise you they can pull themselves out of it. You just gotta truly trust in your team and stop, stop trend chasing. I understand you want that steady steady live service income but maybe it's not meant for everyone all right last story of the week and this is the fun one this is the one i'm looking forward to because we don't have to complain we get to just have fun market research company npd group has revealed 2022's best-selling games in the united states for the whole year despite speculation everyone's guessing that uh that elden ring bandai namco's elden ring would be the best-selling game of the year Nope. In fact, Activision's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 came in at the number one spot on the annual software sales chart, topping monthly sales in October, November, and December, keeping in mind that the game came out October 27th, so it was really only out for like two months. So it took the top spot ahead of Bandai Namco's Elden Ring, which launched in February. Madden NFL 23 charted at number three for the year, followed by God of War Ragnarok and Lego Star Wars A Skywalker Saga at four and five. Pokemon games Arceus, Scarlet, Violet also made the chart because gamers will love shitty, broken, glitchy games and have proven that they will eat shit all day long just to defend their nostalgia for Pokemon. And uh, FIFA 23 and Horizon Forbidden West and MLB The Show 22 also did insanely well. 
MPD's data includes physical and digital sales. In most cases, digital sales data isn't included in Nintendo games or for the Xbox and Switch versions of MLB Show 22. So keep that in mind as we read the top 10 best-selling games for the year in the U.S. Number one, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Number two, Elden Ring. Number three, Madden NFL 23. Number four, God of War Ragnarok. Number five, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Really strong sales. Number six, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Keeping in mind that digital sales are not counted, so it would probably be higher than six. Number seven, FIFA 23, Electronic Arts. Uh, that's uh, actually, kind of, I don't know why I expect that to be higher. I expected it to be better selling than Madden. That surprised me a little bit, especially considering World Cup was this past year. Anyway, uh, number eight, Pokemon Legends Arceus. Again, digital sales not counted, so it might even be higher than that. Number nine, Forbidden West, Horizon Forbidden West. And number 10, MLB The Show. That is strictly the PlayStation sales, not the Nintendo and Xbox sales that counted. So that's, I mean, sports games always do well, so that's not surprising. But MLB, I don't know that it normally makes the top 10. That's pretty That's pretty impressive. It actually usually doesn't. Um, FIFA, I'm a little surprised, didn't chart higher than it did. And then those two Pokemon games might, might be higher on the list. I'm sure Scarlet and Violet are higher on the list. They're probably more like at the number three spot, number four or three. Very, I don't know, very fun. Very fun to look at. And you can compare that to December's number. So that is the top 10 best-selling games for the entire year of 2022. But we also got December's number. So they deviate a little bit. Look at this. For December, the best-selling game of the month was Modern Warfare 2. No surprise. Scarlet and Violet Pokemon. No surprise. Ragnarok, God of War. No surprise. Madden NFL 23 at number 4. FIFA at number 5. Sonic Frontiers at number 6. Pretty good. Pretty good. I'll take it. Elden Ring at 7, Need for Speed Unbound at number 8, pretty good. That game looks like it bombed because it immediately went on sale and no one ever talked about it, so good to see that it at least charted, so it's probably doing well enough to justify its existence. And Mario Kart 8 was at number 9 because God fucking hates us all. <laughs> Crisis Core Final Fantasy 7 Reunion was the number 10 best-selling game of the year, which is also pretty impressive. It's a PSP game remade for Xbox and PlayStation, very impressive. Alright guys, so with that said, that is it for our news this week. Remember... We don't just stop there. We're not crazy people. We do have a little bit more news to talk about, but it's not actual juicy news. It is the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions, of which we have about five, four. I don't know. Let's run through them real quick. Rapid fire, baby. GameSpot. Yeah, GameSpot. Reports that Halo Infinite is back with yet another live event in Season 2 called Joint Fire. Just like the most recent live events, Joint Fire doesn't have any narrative purpose, but instead offers free cosmetic items and a 10 uh, tier battle pass as in a, in a new mode called Joint Ops. It's like a capture flag spinoff mode. Next up, VGC reports Warner Bros. Games has confirmed details for graphics modes on the Xbox versions of Hogwarts Legacy. An update on its, on its site, publishing label Portkey Games, those transphobic freaks, said that the new-gen console version of Hogwarts Legacy will offer multiple graphic modes, including Fidelity, which will run at 30 FPS, and Performance, which will target 60 FPS. I'm sure it'll probably be 34K or 60 1080 or 16 1440. I don't care. You go for 60 if you're a normal person. It was also, uh, the game will also have a graphics mode for players with TVs that support variable refresh rates. PC specs for the game were also recently um, released, as well as the fact that the game will be an 85 gigabyte download on PC. So expect somewhere in that range for Xbox as well. Next up, VGC reports the European Commission is reportedly due to voice their concerns over Microsoft's proposed Activision, Activision Blizzard, whatever, acquisition, Blizzard, EU set concerns, statements of objections, whatever. 
Next up, VGC reports that Infinity Ward has delayed the launch of Warzone 2 and Modern Warfare 2 Season 2. It's a lot of twos. Until mid-February, which is the second month. So Warzone 2 was delayed till on Modern Warfare 2 Season 2 for the two-month of the year. Previously expected to launch at the start of February based on the Battle Pass countdown tier list, the second season of content will now arrive on February 15th. Season 2 includes new content and will, with the return of the Resurgence and a brand of new small maps for Warzone. Quote, ranked players are uh, ranked playlist is also coming back from Modern Warfare 2 along with new multiplayer maps, modes, and weapons, and more. Season 2 will reportedly feature a new multiplayer map, Castle, which was originally included in Van uh, Call of Duty World at War and then remastered for Call of Duty Vanguard last year. World at War, the goaded Call of Duty game, 2008's best. Next up, VGC re relays that the critically acclaimed horror game Friday the 13th Killer Puzzle is being pulled from sale next week. The official website notes developer Blue Wizard Digital that the game will no longer be available beginning January 23rd. Uh, I guess they lost the license to the game, so if you want to play it, make sure you download it now or else it will be gone forever. Players who already have the game downloaded or purchased in its in-game content will continue to have access, but you will not be able to download it going forward or purchase it going forward. It will be taken down from all storefronts, including the Xbox Marketplace store, whatever. Lastly, VGC reports that an upcoming Rainbow Six movie will be directed by Chad Stichelski. Oh, they confirmed it. The Hollywood Reporter, those, those little rascals, reported that director of the John Wick films has signed on to helm the upcoming Paramount Pictures uh, film. It's already been confirmed that back in oh, uh, 2018 that Paramount was working on two films based on Tom Clancy movies. And you know what? I just asked to please show some respect and let Tom Clancy just lay dead because he's fucking dead. Stop milking his name. But if, I, if I'm being completely honest, Rainbow Six movie actually sounds like something I probably would watch. So fuck me. I'm part of the problem. Guys, that's it for all of our news this week. With that said, we can now go to the final and best segment of the podcast, which is, no doubt, the comment section. You know how it works. You go over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode of the podcast. Drop a comment. I don't care what it is. You can tell me I'm a socialist liberal freak. You can tell me that You can tell me that my hair looks like shit. You can tell me that Taco Bell was never good and that was all in my head. You can tell me that Sonic's pretty cute but you don't like his games, you just think his ass is nice, I don't really care what you say, just write a fucking comment, and I'll read it, because I'm desperate for your attention, thank you so much to the nine people that wrote in this week, we got nine entries, so a lot to get through guys, let's get straight into it, Mr. Maug writes in and says, Kronky's getting married? That's what I get for missing a live streams, I guess, I'm sad nobody saves the world is gone from Game Pass, stop. You haven't missed live streams. I haven't been doing them because I'm working on a YouTube video, quote unquote. And also, Nobody Saves the World is gone from Game Pass, but you should absolutely buy it if you haven't played it because it's worth every penny. You said, also, are those iPhone notifications I hear in the background? Jesse, did you betray us? Um, yes, those are iPhone notifications you hear in the background. And no, I did not betray you. Um, uh, my desk is right next to my girlfriend's desk. For Christmas, I bought her an iPad. Um, and so you know how it is. It's linked to all of her Apple shit. And so um, I couldn't get to shut up. I was trying to get to shut up last week on the podcast. You didn't hear me saying that because I edited it out, but I kept stopping trying to fiddle with it because it kept ding, ding, ding every time she got a notification. And I was like, hey, hi, hey, I'm recording a podcast. This is a Surface family. Can you shut up, iPad? And the iPad wouldn't shut up. But no, I, I don't have an iPhone. I don't have an iPad. No disrespect. I, iPhone is great. iPad is great. Actually, this iPad's a lot of fun. I, I played around with it a couple times. It's pretty cool how far iPads come. It's a lot better of a device than it used to be. But no, right now I'm rocking my Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3. It is my secondary phone that I'm using as a primary phone right now because I'm just really feeling it. My primary phone is my Surface Pro or Surface Duo 2. 
So still enjoying the hell out of that, baby. I am not leaving you guys. Just because Microsoft laid off 10,000 people doesn't mean I'm going to stop being a shill and buy all their shit. So no, Mr. Mag, to answer your question, I did not betray you. Next up, we got a really good question here from Keith L. Who writes in and says, I want to go back, like way back. The days when TV were coveted, uh, or sorry, the days when TVs were covered with wood paneling, and the remote was going to change. Uh, was in the remote was you going to change the channels because you were supposed to be good? When in reality, it was a child labor. Oh wait, repress, repress, repress. <laughs> okay, few. So I remember pouring hours and hours into Chips Challenge on Windows ninety five, which was a top down tile based puzzle video game originally published in nineteen eighty nine. What old games do you look back on now and ask yourself? How was I so easily satisfied with such a simple game? Keith L., thank you for writing in. Uh, I mean, I remember I remember when the TV remote would get lost, and so you'd have to go up to the TV to manually change the channels, but you also lived in a house with, like, 20,000 other kids because your parents had too many kids, and so one of the motherfuckers pushed the channel button in too far, and now the channel button was, like, sunk into the TV, and so you kind of had to, like, stick your pinky finger into the socket where the where the channel button was and risk electrocution just to switch from MTV to the Disney channel. And you're like, God, I hope this is fucking worth it. And then you get there and you're like, God damn it, it's fucking Kim Possible. Uh, I'm just kidding, Kim Possible is a good show. But anyway, yes, I do remember these days. <laughs> but no, I think your question's a lot of fun. Very good question. Um, I had a hard time answering this because I think a lot of the shit I played as a, a young kid, I still play today. I remember I played like my earliest gaming memories. My brother had a Game Boy and we would play Mario. Mario's still my favorite video game of all time. You know, Mario Galaxy in particular. Um, I think about the first console we had as a family was a PlayStation 1. I played the fuck out of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Spyro the Dragon, the first Tomb Raider game. I, I stand by all those franchises today and think they're all still pretty great. So it's hard for me to think back, but then I, I try to dig a little deeper. I'm like, mm, there's some other shit I'm not remembering. And then I remembered the early days of PC gaming, kind of like what you're talking about, the educational games. I remember there was a Toy Story game I bought from a school book fair in like 2002. And it was like, like you boot up the game. It's like Andy's bedroom and you click on like different parts of the bedroom. And they open up different educational mini games like the Buzz Lightyear one was like a asteroid blasting math equation thing or they had like a, a typing of the dead kind of like one I don't even remember all of them but it was just a stupid educational toy story game that I got at a school book fair in like first grade or something like that and I remember I would put so many hours into that shit and today if, if, if you asked me to play that I'd be like I, maybe I can make an interesting YouTube video out of it, but I don't know what I, I wouldn't play that game. Like, what the fuck do you do with that? I definitely played a lot of, like, Freddy Fish, Pajama Sam type point-and-click kitty adventure games, but I wouldn't say I wasted my time with, like... I, I, well, I wouldn't say it was such a simple game. Like, those games were kind of cool then, and I don't know. I'm sure they're kind of cool now. There were... I will say this. My favorite games have always been 3D platformers. 3D platforming is still my, my favorite genre to this day, but... um. I remember growing up playing the Pac-Man World games, Pac-Man World 1 and 2 on PS1 and PS2. And um, they recently re-released Pac-Man World 1 last year on Xbox Series X and everything, HD remaster, whatever. I remember excitedly downloading this, be like, oh my god, I'm going to relive my childhood. And then I played it and I was like, wow, this, this game kind of sucks. Pac-Man World 1 was not a good game. And I, and I look back, I'm like, there's a couple little 3d platformers i liked as a kid that i'm like yeah, i just i'll be honest maybe a hot take i don't think crash bandicoot was ever really that good 
I, I like the spin-off crash games like the racing one and crash bash more than I like the actual mainline crash games. I kind of find crash to be obnoxiously hard and not that satisfying. Um, so I, I might say crash bandicoot is one of those games for me that I'm just like, I, why did I like this game as a kid? I don't know. I, I'm sure we all played a lot of shit. I guess, I guess really the last answer I'll give and probably really the, the biggest answer I should have given was just movie licensed bullshit. I would play any fucking game based on a movie I liked. And luckily, you know, we got lucky a lot as kids, especially like when, when I grew up, I think we got lucky a lot. Like we would play, you know, like Spider-Man two, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man two phenomenal game just happened that way. Right. I remember Spider-Man, the basically a lot of Spider-Man games for me for licensed movie games, but I, I always had fun playing like the Incredibles beat em up or like whatever Pixar or Disney movie had a, a licensed tying game, whatever toy story platformer game they had. I feel like we always got pretty lucky. I enjoyed a lot of those games, but a couple in particular, I remember that are definitely shit games that I absolutely played a lot of anyway, for some reason, because I convinced myself I needed to play these games. Um, Stuart Little to the video game that <laughs> that game fucking sucked. And I remember, uh, just like, it was such a big game for me and my, my, me and Cronky and our older brother, uh, Caleb, we would, uh, we would play the fuck out of the Stuart Little two video game. And we would, we would talk about like where we were in the game and like trying to beat it and complete the game and see it through the end. The way that like gamers today talk about God of War Ragnarok, where it's like, oh, dude, what part are you at? Oh, I'm at the part where Atreus and blah, 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 and Sea Serpent and blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's so fucking dope, dude. And we would talk about Stuart Little that way. Oh, I'm at the part where you got to do the fucking skateboarding level and you got to do this. Stuart Little's got to escape all the feet that are going to crush him if he, because he's a fucking rat in human clothing. So there's that one. Oh, the, I used to play like the fucking Shark Tale game, uh, DreamWorks Shark Tale. Uh, the video game, I had that on Game Boy Advance. I played the Shrek game. the Sh Whatever fucking, I think it was a Shrek 2 game that copied Sonic Heroes where you could switch between three characters. I played that shit a little bit on GameCube. I don't know why the fuck I would play those games and, and, and just live with that. That's that's borderline child abuse for those games, for parents to let their kids play those games. But I, I don't know. Great question. It definitely sets the imagination off on a tangent. But <laughs> I'd be interested to know what other kind of uh, just simple games or ridiculous games we used to play as kids and... What you guys have to think about that. But uh, EA's King gets the next uh, read where he, he wrote like 20 fucking times. So we're just going to kind of rapid fire through some of these and not really hone in on any one of them too much. But EA's King, welcome back. It's been a while since we've seen you. I noticed your profile picture is now Garfield with Master Chief's helmet or is that Donkey Kong? I can't tell. You said people trust more of the opinions of influencers than their own. And I don't know why. I like how most people go to watch a game review or something just to judge a game instead of actually formulating their own opinion. I also, uh, also, what is the game? What is a game that no one will complain about? Uh, well, I agree with you there at the top. Those sentiments. Exactly. What is a game that no one will complain that no one complains about? No one complains about. I mean, there's tons of them, right? No one complains about God of War. I'm sure there are criticisms of that game, but no one criticizes them. Nobody criticizes Elden Ring. These are some recent examples I'm thinking of. Uh, no one used to criticize Skyrim, but now everyone rags on Skyrim. So that, that's kind of 180 over history. We've, we've changed our minds on that. I don't know. There are plenty of games people... I don't know. Like, people... It's whatever games are just kind of, like, forever goaded, like, in the internet zeitgeist. You know, the collective, like, oh, that game was so dope. Like... Like people, I'm actually working on a YouTube video literally right now about this very thing about how I miss Call of Duty and it's not Activision's fault. It's like the like the player base's fault for like the way it's become cool to hate Call of Duty. How like a game like the original 2009 Modern Warfare 2 
is just like this this just all-time greatest game. People are just like, yo, that game was fucking perfect. It was amazing. Everything was amazing back in those days. And no one has a bad thing to say about it. But like Modern Warfare 2 2022 comes out and it's a pretty damn great game, but everyone just has to rag on it like it's a piece of shit because it's not cool to like Call of Duty anymore. And I, I think about that stuff and I'm just like, bro, the only thing that changed is just the popularity level of liking something. Like, I mean, Modern Warfare 2 original wasn't a perfect game. It was a great game, but it wasn't a perfect game. Tactical nukes sucked ass. Weapons were imbalanced. Games were never patched in those days. Like, what do you want about, man? That game had plenty of problems. There were maps that sucked in that game. I don't know. That Like, that's the kind of stuff that comes to mind. But I, I don't know. Like, people people don't rag on games. Halo 2 is kind of one of those games. Honestly, Halo 2 has, like, the weakest campaign, in my opinion, of all the Halo games. I know that's a fucking hot take. It's Halo 2 is like by far my least favorite Halo. And um, people just, for whatever reason, every Halo fan is like, no, can't talk ill of Halo 2. Halo 2 is like the one you can't say a single bad thing about. But to me, Halo 2 is like by far the least uh, memorable Halo game. So I don't know. That's that's one for me. But I guess that's a hipster take more than anything. Anyway, you also said, uh, what is a game that, uh, or sorry, what is so special about Caribou Coffee? Oh, I'm on, I'm on track to make enough money from trading to be able to make a living off trading. You're talking about Bitcoin. Okay, that's cool. Good for you. What is so special about Caribou Coffee? Everything EA's king. And we'll talk about it next week because I'm flying out to Georgia on Friday. I have to go to Kronky's wedding and I will get Caribou Coffee at that point in time and I'll tell you what's so special. So stay tuned for next week. Mojo writes in and says some stuff about Caribou Coffee and Halo as well and says, Yeah, Jesse or whoever you are. I checked out Caribou Coffee. They don't even have caribou-flavored coffee. No little caribou chunks or anything in the coffee, really. Not even a little caribou meat sandwich or a little antler ears I can wear while sipping my dark roast like that's false advertising or something. Zero out of ten. Will not visit. And even though we've all been (laughs) in-game online together, in your stream, playing Halo or another game, I'm 100% sure... Kronky does not exist and is one of your many split personalities. I believe you're a master ventriloquist as well as a master of the arts of deception. So congratulations on your marriage or to who or so congratulations on your marriage, whoever you are. Well, Mojo, I can promise you I'm not Kronky for a couple of reasons. Kronky doesn't like Sonic. Kronky recently went to Disney World and didn't love it so much to the point where he decided to move, sell everything he owns and rebrand himself as a Disney show. Kronky has never said a good thing about caribou coffee. In fact, I've never even heard him mention it before. And Kronky loves ketchup. This guy doesn't like ketchup. He loves ketchup. I can, I have vivid fucking memories of this kid drowning a McDonald's wrapper, burger wrapper with ketchup so he can just his burger and his fries. That's not a split personality. Someone who does that with French fries is someone who needs serious mental help. I don't mind you accusing me of having a split personality, but if you're going to insinuate one of my split personalities would do that with ketchup, you're fucked. Also, Caribou Coffee doesn't have any caribou in their in their food or their drink, and they're still goaded. So watch what you're saying, Mojo. You're on thin ice, but I know you're graceful, and like an ice skater, you will glide on that thin ice. So get yourself to safe ground, but watch it. All right, let's talk about fun Halo question. Clack, Clanky writes in, Fucking Clanky, I need you to change your name so people don't think I'm making this shit up. You said, my my comments are usually drawn out, but this week I'm going to keep it short. My top two favorite Halo games of all time, or what are your top two favorite Halo games of all time and your least two favorite Halo games of all time? Evaluate from two different perspectives. One, accounting for nostalgia bias, and two, being as objective as possible. Okay, evaluate from two different perspectives. Okay, this is a really fun question. I think you, you even 
added all the little caveats to make it as fun as possible. So thank you for the write-in. This is a very fun question. And God, I swear to fucking Christ, this is not me. This is not Kronky. This is a different person. Please, for the love of God. But uh, yeah, so two favorite Halo games of all time and two least favorite Halo games of all time. From one, the perspective of nostalgia, and two, from the perspective uh, of being just as objective as possible. Okay, I think from the the fun version, actually, let's do it the other way around. Let's do the objective. Let's do the objective one. I think objectively, the best Halo games are one, because it establishes the franchise, it establishes the world, the franchise, the IP, the platform of Xbox. So it has to be one. And then I think the second one, I struggle. It's either two or three from an objective point of view because two, I want to say two because of Xbox Live. That game shepherds Xbox Live into existence the way Halo Combat Evolved shepherded the Xbox brand into existence. But Halo 3, I think, is the definitive quintessential Halo multiplayer experience that everyone, that I think more people played and has aged more gracefully and is is better. And and just so we're clear, I'm not going to cheat and include Master Chief Collection because that's a cop-out. So that, that's not an option. But I would say it's either one in two or one in three for an objective uh, standpoint. I think from a, uh, I think if we're talking objectively, what are the worst Halo games? I, I I would have to say that the worst ones are probably, ooh, objectively the worst Halo games. Man, probably Halo Four. We're not counting spinoffs like Halo, uh, like Halo Wars or anything, right? I'd say Halo Four and Halo Reach, or Halo Four and Halo Five would have no, no. Wait, what am I saying? Wait, stop. That that is so stupid. I was so brain dead. For some reason, I forgot about Halo Infinite. Holy fuck! No, the two. Uh, if we're speaking objectively, the worst Halo games. Like, if I'm trying to not speak for Jesse, I'm trying to speak for like in a critical fashion. I think Halo Four and Halo Infinite are the are the two worst or least best Halo games. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind that those are not my opinions. That's me trying. That's me trying to guess based on like objective information. Uh, it's it's kind of hard because favorite favorite and least favorite is a subjective thing, and I'm trying to use a, an objective viewpoint, so it doesn't totally work out. But the reason I would say one and two are the most important because one and two kind of shepherd in Xbox and and Xbox Live and really validate first person shooters and online games on console. Halo is so responsible for all that shit, and the reason why I say the least best or least favorite games from an objective standpoint would be Halo's four in Halo Infinite is because Halo 4 deviates so wildly from what Halo is all about. Its multiplayer is like chasing COD trends and not really following the DNA of what Halo is. And they have loadouts and things like that. And the the campaign's a little more linear and restrictive and I think just not what a lot of people were looking for. Um, and then Halo Infinite because Halo Infinite is still an incomplete fucking game. It's just... It just came out with so many issues, missing so much content, so incomplete, so ununified. It's it's even its own story, even fucking retcons, Halo Five or attempts to. So, I'd say I'd say four and infinite. But if we're talking about my favorites, completely different answers. Because if we're talking about if we're talking from a, a nostalgic and subjective perspective. I would say that the two best Halo games of all time, without a doubt, no questions asked, Halo 3 and Halo 5. I don't care what anyone says, you make fun of me until you're blue in the face, you'll never hurt my feelings. I so proudly stand by it. Halo 3 and Halo 5 are the best Halo games ever made. People overreacted to high hell about Halo 5. 
Halo Five is such an underappreciated game. That game will never get the respect and 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 uh, and, and appreciation it so desperately deserves. And that breaks my heart. But it's never going to stop me from loving and appreciating it. Uh, Halo Three. I mean, Halo 3 came out when I was in middle school. It's just such perfect timing, dude. That game just defined my youth. Playing Xbox Live, playing Halo with friends, just top three gaming experiences for me in my entire life. I'll just never, I'll just never be able to experience something like what Halo 3 brought to me. It was just so special. And then, and then Halo, uh, Halo 5 just. Personally, I just love that fucking game. I think the multiplayer is phenomenal. I love the art style, the way they changed the art style. I think the campaign's fucking awesome. I love the direction they were taking the game in. Yes, there are some hiccups and some issues, things I wish they could have done differently, but I think generally the direction they were taking that story was so fucking badass. It was such peak sci-fi storytelling and then a bunch of salty little chubby fucking neckbeard fanboys were like me it's not it's not the halo i want and so then 343 were like "Ooh, i guess we just make things to make you happy instead of making things we want to make and then they did halo infinite instead um but dude forever yeah three and five are my favorites and then my least favorites without a doubt my least favorite halo games are one and two easy i I understand people like you gotta respect the classics man it's like bro I don't know. Halo Combat Evolved came out when I was like seven, and Halo and Halo th- uh, Two came out when I was like nine. I'd like, bro. I don't. I, I I just gotta be honest. Like I played Halo Combat Evolved and Halo Two like when they were new and current video games, and my my reaction back in those ga- days was like, this game is really good. I'm gonna go play Mario because I'm fucking seven, you know. Or like Halo Two came out, I was like, "This is so cool playing online," but this is like grown up stuff, and I'm still kind of like into like Mario and Pikmin, so like fuck off. Uh, I'm just gonna go play Spider Man for the hundredth time. And you know, in retrospect, as an adult, you know, I've played these games. I've beaten Halos One and Two many, many, many times before, but those games just don't have the personal nostalgic connection with me the way Halo Three and onward does. So I, I, I'm gonna say it. Halo, Halo three and five absolute favorites. Halo one and one and two, my my personal least favorites. Um, I yeah, I, I I have fonder memories and enjoy ODST's campaign more than one and two, Reach's campaign and multiplayer more than one and two. Uh, I think Halo four is so good. I like the changes they made with it. I, I'm glad that they didn't end up sticking with that as a permanent solution for Halo. But for just the sake of Halo four. I had so much fun with that game the way it was. I love that game story so much. Um, I know I said it was one of the worst ones if I was trying to do it objectively, but from my personal perspective, Halo 4 is one of my favorite Halo games. I think my favorite Halo games are like 3, then 5, then 4, then Infinite, then ODST, then Reach, then then 1, then 2, probably, something like that. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I know I have an unconventional taste for Halo, but I'm trying to I'm trying to be representative and encompass all viewpoints with that. But that was a really fun question. I appreciate you writing in. And you guys, if that was controversial, if you had some takes, please write in. Let me know what what is your Halo ranking. How would you do it? Way of the Loud gets the penultimate comment. Oh, okay. We got a couple more actually. We got to move faster. I thought this was almost at the end. Way of the Loud writes in and says, "Yo, yo, yo, my G. Hope you're doing well. First off, let's get something straight." IGN sucks something, and I'm not going to say what it is. Also, yes, let's not do console war bullshit on here, please. I like the podcast, and I like people who write in, so let's please keep that shit for other podcasts that want to suck each other off by telling each other how great they are for refusing to accept that people disagree with one another. I like your response to my Starfield question. I do agree with it, and I understand what you're saying. I just... <laughs> it's just that I hear so many people hyping up, hyping it up on podcasts and Twitter, and I worry. I like the X. I like Xbox, and I want them to have a first party with win that kicks ass. 
I don't want them to end up being screwed up because it has bugs on launch, which would be perfectly normal, that end up hurting the game's sales. Well, that's all I have to say, and I knew you were an emo teenager when you wore black eyeliner when you were young once. I did not wear eyeliner ever. Not that kind of emo. P.S. I like podcasts even more when you engage with the comments for longer, so if anyone else does, please speak up. Yeah, good point. If anyone else likes long, drawn-out comment sections, speak up. I try to be a little mindful with the length of the comment sections because I don't want to drag it out too much, but... I don't know. You guys tell me what you like. I don't I'm just trying to make this podcast a little bit of what I want, a little bit of what you want, and a little bit of something that's reasonable so it's you know palatable for new listeners while I just rant on and on about caribou coffee and CeCe's pizza. Anyway, um, yeah, wait a while. Thank you for hanging in. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Starfield is, I think it's really dangerous for Microsoft to be really banking on that game as hard as they are because my expectations for Starfield is that it is going to be at the very least, a pretty damn solid 8 out of 10. I, I think the game's going to be good. I think it's going to have plenty of flaws. I think it's going to have plenty of area of opportunity, room for improvement. But um, I just, I don't for one second think that Starfield is going to be the next game that launches fucking Xbox into the stratosphere, no pun intended. I don't think it's going to be the game to just, just fucking make PlayStation fans wet their pants and wish they had an Xbox. I just... My guess is that it's going to do very well because it's a Bethesda game. It's going to be very well-liked and pretty well-reviewed, but I don't think it's going to light the world on fire. I really don't. I think it's a little desperate-sounding for Xbox to just, you know, if they really are trying to position this as, like, their new mascot franchise, I think it's a little lame because it's like, dude, Xbox, you couldn't fucking you couldn't fucking build something with your own team, so you had to go buy Starfield in order to get, get that that hot ticket item. It's like, whatever, dude. I, mean, I guess it's kind of technically what they did with Halo back in the day, but... What, what whatever man I don't know my my expectations with Starfield are just so insanely tepid and in check I shouldn't say tepid but like they're just so they're so insanely like in check and so reasonable that's just like personally I <laughs> I just want Starfield to be like a really cool fun game and I think it's probably going to be all that and so as long as it's not like Cyberpunk 2077 broken I think we'll be fine but Ultimately, I, I agree with you. I, I do share a similar sentiment. I want Xbox first party to get a big win. It would be fun, you know, as an Xbox fan, for us to be able to have a game to be like, fuck yeah, dude, this is an awesome, excellent game. This is a great reason to have an Xbox. This is the kind of shit we've been hungering for and waiting for. I, I do want that. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it's just like, whatever. I, I'm already satisfied with Xbox as it is. And um, I'm already pretty convinced that Starfield's going to be, at the very least, a pretty good time. So I'm getting what I need. Whatever. If you need me, I'll go be playing some Modern Warfare 2 or some shit like that. I don't know. Wes H. writes in next, and we're talking about subs. He says, Jesse, one, Italian subs are the best subs. Number two, Caribou Coffee. Number three, or no, not number three. Well, except for chicken tender subs from Publix. Okay. Wes, this is one of the most schizophrenic comments you've ever written in with, but I appreciate it because I appreciate you, and I'm glad to go over this, whatever this is. Italian subs are the best subs. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's a, that's a fact. That's true. Um, caribou coffee, that's not really... I mean, you're, you're just saying caribou coffee. I don't even know what that means. I've said it many, many times. It's, you're making fun of me for it. That's fine. Caribou coffee, caribou coffee, caribou coffee. If you say it three times in the mirror, a flask of caribou will come into your fucking home and knock you out cold. Uh, and yeah, the Publix Chicken Tender Sub is pretty damn excellent. For those who don't know what Publix is, it is a regional grocery store here in the Southeast United States. I think it's starting to slowly expand more and more. I know it goes as far north as Virginia for sure. So, bro, if you ever have the chance to try Publix, Publix is good shit. They have a really good uh, bakery and a really good deli. Um, their sandwiches are pretty pretty solid. 
Uh, but the Publix chicken tender sub is mm, very good. The house-made bread, uh, house-made uh, uh, sub roll. You get some Publix house-made chicken tenders in there. Like it with some smoked Gouda or Chipotle Gouda. Mayo on both sides. Okay? Don't toast it. I know a lot of people think you gotta toast this sandwich. I don't toast it. White bread, foot long. Mayo on both sides. Chicken tenders. Chipotle Gouda or smoked Gouda. Your choice. Then you top it with the garlic pickles. Raw onions. Lettuce, tomato, pepper. You don't need salt because the chicken's already super salty. So just some black pepper. Bro, that's all you need. Wrap that fucker up. That is a good sandwich right there. I know some people like to do like the habanero ranch or this or that. You can do all that. It's good. It's fine. But that's how I get my Publix chicken tender sub. It's good shit. But I will be honest. The chicken tender sub has not been my go-to public sub for a very long time. These days, uh, I usually go for... I, I dress them pretty much all the same. But I, uh, I I usually go for the ultimate sub. Not the Italian. Not the chicken tender. I go for the ultimate. Boar's head ultimate. You got your fucking roast beef. Your turkey. Your um, your ham again. You get your smoked gouda, mayo on both sides, white bread, foot long. Don't toast it. Garlic pickles, lettuce, tomato, raw onion, black pepper. You can put a little deli sauce on there if you want. You like oil herb deli sauce. You can put a little of that on there if you want. Not not required, but acceptable. Woo! You get a stack of fucking Pringles. Grab yourself a zero sugar Pepsi or something like that. You put on some Nathan for you or or fucking. Uh, Seinfeld, or you put on Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you put on Malcolm in the Middle, you put on King of the Hill, you put on one of those legendary TV shows like that. That's the, dude, that's the perfect fucking day, man. Perfect day. You're done, you wash your hands so they're not oily and greasy, can't have that, and then you can go play some Halo or Call of Duty. What a great day off that it would be. Damn, 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 damn. Kronky writes in and says, I doubt Starfield will be stealth dropped. I think it's going to get a release date about eight weeks or so at least at the event, and then they'll go hard with ads. Uh, I think that's a good point as well. Um, I actually am more on your side the more I think about this as well because Starfield is such a big-budget game. You could stealth drop it, and that would be a mindfuck moment, but you got to go with a heavy marketing push on this game. Like you got to get that Sunday night football ad going and all that shit. You can't, you can't just stealth drop a game that presumably costs like $200 million to make. So... I think I agree with you, Kronky. Last, oh, that, by the way, that's Kronky's last comment before he's a married man. And our final comment of the week comes from none other than the OG, the most beloved commenter of all time, Mr. Dead Captain James, who don't think I didn't notice. You changed your profile picture on, on YouTube. I see a dirt bike. I didn't know you ride dirt bikes. Let me know about that. What's the, what's the story behind that? You ride dirt bikes? Tell me about that. You ride dirt bikes? Anyway, Dead Captain James' comment reads, I went to Taco Bell today. The new Salsa Verde burrito is actually bad. The Chipotle Ranch Chicken Burrito is the only good thing I like at Taco Bell. Well, Dead Captain James, while I'll, I'll defend what you had to say, I, I, I don't I don't agree with what you had to say. What is it? While I don't agree with what you had to say, I'll defend to the death your right to say it. I don't think the Salsa Verde Burrito is bad, but from my experience, I thought it was underwhelming. Not bad, but underwhelming. And I agree that there are better things to have. That Chipotle Ranch Chicken Burrito you're talking about on the $2 menu, like the salady ranch wrap burrito... That thing is pretty good. I've had that. It's pretty low calorie, too. I've had that a handful of times. It is pretty good. But I stand by what I said. That beefy melt burrito, which is sandwich. We just named all three of them. This is the Chipotle Ranch chicken burrito, the Salsa Verde chicken burrito, and then the beefy melt burrito. That beefy melt one is, that's the one to get. That's the best of the three, in my, in my opinion, my humble opinion. But it's not, you said the only good thing at Taco Bell, the only thing you like at Taco Bell. Bro, Dead Captain James, please, right in, say it ain't so, man. 
You talking about you, you don't like the chicken chalupa supreme? You don't like the crunch wrap supreme with chicken, not beef? You don't like the fucking cheesy gordita crunch with chicken, not beef? You don't like the fucking chicken quesadillas, the steak quesadillas, the beef quesadillas? I don't even know. I get chicken quesadillas when I get them. Oh my god, you don't like those? Some fucking chicken cho- uh, chicken taco supremes? Oh my god, hey Captain James, please, sir. There are plenty of good things at Taco Bell. And just like plenty of good things at Taco Bell, all good things must come to an end. And that is why it is my my uh, my pleasure to report to you that you are set free. The podcast is over. Run along, children. Thank you so much for listening. We have reached the end of the show. As always, guys, I appreciate your support. Appreciate those of you who listen all the way through the end. And if you have the means to do so, uh, if you could go over to YouTube or YouTube, YouTube drop, yeah, you subscribe, YouTube. We're at 280 or 984. We're like 15 shy or so from hitting a thousand subscribers. But if you're an iTunes user, if you could leave a five tar, five tar, five tar, please. If you could leave a five star review on iTunes, five star on Stitcher, Google, whatever you use, I'd greatly appreciate it. Trying to get this show out there to a new audience, as many people as possible. We got to grow it, guys, because I bought razors the other day and they were super fucking expensive. And I used a coupon and it was still so expensive. And I just thought to myself, man, what if we can get Xbox on big enough to where I can get a sponsor like Dollar Shave Club? Then I don't have to buy really expensive razors all the time. So, guys, please help share the love, share the show with your friends and people you know. Leave a five star review, hit subscribe, help me to grow the show so that one day, I can save money on razors by being sponsored by Dollar Shave Club. You scratch my back, I'll shave yours. You like that Dollar Shave Club? That's what I'll say. I'll say, you scratch my back, I'll shave yours. Dollar Shave Club. I'm pretty good at this, guys. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty much boring to, to sell others, uh, other businesses' products to, a, to an audience of Xbox fans. But anyway, thank you all so much for listening. All joking aside, I hope you guys have a great week. Uh, take care. Be well. Eat good food. Spend time with your loved ones. Play some good video games. Remember, next Wednesday, the Xbox Bethesda Developer uh, Direct. So really exciting news. Really excited to talk to you next week about all that. Cronky, congrats on the marriage, hopefully. Uh, and uh, yeah, until next week, power your dreams.